You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of the show, Today I am joined by Cam Berry and Tom Peavy. T.P. Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line today as we have a fun show planned for you this afternoon. Talk a little bit of everything today, including a segment we want to do in the 4 o'clock hour or so today. We're going to officially and finally go over what we believe will be the most impactful transfers both in and out for Auburn. Coming in the 2024 season, we are less than a week away from spring practice beginning uh, and so we want to deliver that list for you here today. Coming up at 5.15 today, Lindsey Crosby will join us. He uh, is a great guy in terms of uh, if you're trying to uh, learn more about not only Auburn baseball but also MLB prospects and that sort of thing. He does a lot of different things with Auburn Daily uh, and uh, Locked on MLB prospects and all the good stuff. So we're going to have him on at 5.15 to start uh, to talk about this Auburn baseball team after their 4-0 start and what we can continue to look for in the coming days and weeks with Auburn baseball. So he'll be at 5.15 today. And, of course, we want to take your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Also want to do birthdays and sports at some point today uh, and a lot of other things to get to. No midweek basketball for Auburn. This is the midweek bye, but we will hit on – uh, some other SEC basketball games in action here both last night and tonight. So we'll still give you an update on what's going on in the college basketball universe, including number one losing last night. Uh, life always tough on the road in college basketball. So a lot of good stuff to hit on today on this Wednesday. Ryan, Tom, and Cam with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. We'll start with you, Cam Barry. Good to see you again this week, sir. I hope you are doing well. Yeah, doing great. Glad to be here. Uh, just a, a good Wednesday. Yeah, number one, uh, just another loss, man. I mean, continuing to prove that winning on the road and winning in conference is, is tough. Every, uh, I think it was, and it was every ranked team, Last night they played in men's basketball in general. I mean, not even in the SEC law, uh, lost. Like, uh, I think it was number number 19 lost as well as number – I think it was like number 25 lost as well. So, uh, life on the road in college basketball is as tough as it has ever been. Uh, but, yeah, uh, excited to, to – talk some uh talk some some sports with you guys and uh yeah doing great 
Uh, Tom Peavy, you were on the call there with some uh, Borgard baseball yesterday. We do apologize. We had technical difficulties from a couple different times in the night, but uh, powered through it, delivered a 4-2 win for the Borgard Hornets, and good to have you out there and good to have you back in studio. Yeah, glad to be. Sorry we're so stanky in here, though. I heard Uh, heard that joke you made yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad to be back in studio, but it was also really nice to be out there in in the fresh air at the ballpark and, you know, all the... The sights and sounds of, of high school baseball. I mean, ping of the bat right there in front of you, and you got the smell of bacon or Koneka sausage or something that they were cooking <laughs> back behind us, kind of wafting through. I mean, just, uh, you know, so much great stuff about that. Uh, the players walking around on the concrete with their the metal spikes, you know, that type of crunchy sound. Just that's baseball. And, um, yeah, it was great to be out there with Tim Sin and that whole crew. And, yeah, we had to battle through a lot of – uh, a lot of the technical difficulties with the equipment for whatever reason, uh, but we we powered through it, like you said, made it work, and tried to get as much on the air as we possibly could, so hey, that was fun, but hey, you know, it is also nice to be back here in the studio and talk sports, because yeah, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, and there always is, so let's, uh, let's get to it on this Wednesday. A couple things we want to hit on here in the first part of the show. One, Auburn baseball is uh, victorious again last night in the midweek playing UAB. Something I want to do when it comes to college baseball. I'm going to do this just about every single day, it feels like. I'm going to give you the running list of how many ranked teams lose midweek type of games or games you don't expect them to lose just so people are reminded as we get into baseball season how it can happen to anybody because I know uh, sometimes people do need that reminder uh, that not to even take this stuff like against UAB for granted uh, as Auburn did win last night only getting three hits. Uh, So here are some notables that lost last night in college baseball in the top 25. Number one, Wake Forest. They lost 4-3 to to UNC Greensboro. So that's that's a little different. Uh, you also had uh, a close scare from Tennessee, who, who barely beat UNC Nashville three two. You did have number eleven East Carolina lose to Campbell seven to six. Campbell's really good though. Sure, yeah. But, uh, they're the not number, they're not ranked. They're not ranked. No, they're, they're sure. Yes. sure. But they they're like I think a, they're, they're just like on the outside looking in. Right? Yeah, sure, they're, they're a team that people have talked about possibly yeah, going sure. to the College World Series. But okay, well, still, they're not ranked. I know. So yeah, but still, a, yeah, they took 11, out a ranked team, right? Yeah. Uh, Austin P defeating uh, defeating Mississippi State three to two. <laughs> Number six Vanderbilt at home losing to Dayton eight to five. That's uh, not not the best thing in the world. And I believe there was one more I was looking for. Uh, this one not as big, uh, but number twenty four Kansas State losing to Arizona State nine to six. So you had number one lose to UNCG. You had a top ten Vandy team lose at home to Dayton. Uh, and you did have East Carolina. Maybe Campbell wouldn't up ranked as high as them at some point this year. Maybe not. They lose to an unranked Campbell team, seven to six. So almost could be a daily segment. And of course, Mississippi State they are unranked, but losing to Austin B. So just to remind you that this is baseball, and random things will happen, and Auburn will inevitably lose a midweek game at some point. And I'm just going ahead and getting out in front of any scare or close game that you have this year and saying this is what happens in baseball. However, Auburn was victorious last night against UAB 7-2. Guys, what was odd about this one, three hits for Auburn yeah. uh, in this one. That was not uh, uh, not a very plentiful uh, hit parade for the Tigers. They did walk uh, a ton, so very patient eye. And right. uh, more good pitching from Auburn. And I think that's been the story ever since the opening game of the season. These last three, Auburn has pitched very well. 
And Tigers off to a four no start. And again, this weekend they they'll have a, a step up in competition. But so far, so good. Yeah, yeah. And, and the pitching, uh, you know, wasn't just a, a one or two guys. I mean, they went through a bunch of guys, and they were all very good for the Tigers. You know, Connor McBride got the start uh, th- uh, three and two thirds of an inning, only gave up two hits. Uh, Hayden Murphy gave up a hit. Griffin Graves gave up a hit. Cam Tilly and Tanner Bauman did not give up a hit. And Dylan Watts finished off and gave up two hits. But, uh, you know, very solid outing whenever you throw that many arms. And, uh, you know, I think some people will ask, you know, well, why are you throwing that many arms? It's like, well, but that's kind of what you want to do. In midweek game, you want to get some arms, especially this early in the season. You need to get these guys out there and throwing. So, you know, sure. Pitch a guy three and two thirds and and pull him out and let another guy get a little bit of work and then let it, you know let another guy get some work. Obviously, they know where their weekend starters are going to be or what they want that to look like. But as far as uh, everything else, I mean, yeah, you want to throw arms. You want you you got to get them on the mound and in, in live action and throw. So uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, the three hits was weird. Um, but I mean, when they're walking as when they're walking as many as they are hitting batters and you know things like that i mean sometimes you can sometimes you can put seven runs on the board with only three hits but uh yeah i mean you could call it patient i don't think it was a bad day at the plate uh I, you know that if they're not throwing strikes then you don't want them swinging at it so you'll take it you'll definitely take the win and especially like you listed off all the teams that got beat yeah, you take it. Even with even with just three hits, you'll take it. Yeah, I mean again this time of year you cherish the victories and um Again, this is that little aside about the ranked teams is not to say, hey, all these teams are overrated. I mean, I know it's early, but Wake Forest is supposed to be really good this year. We always know what Vandy is and that sort of thing. But it's just that it happens, and I just don't want anyone to say when it does inevitably happen to Auburn, or at the very minimum, if they don't lose in midweek, they only win by one, or they give up ten runs, or just something weird, and say, how could this happen? Well, it's going to happen to absolutely everybody at some point uh, in the season, because that's baseball, and you don't simply just lose your conference games. you got so many of them. So, uh, what I'm saying again is Auburn off to a really solid start uh, by, by getting to 4-0. Uh, and again, another game, too, which if you look at how they win, uh, they did win seven to two, and therefore your margin of a, a victory again. You, you blasted Eastern Kentucky seventeen six, and beat them six one, then beat them nine to one, and then beat UAB seven two. The Auburn's not had to deal with close games so far, so that is also good. They are uh, taking care of these games pretty early, and again, Auburn was scoring uh, pretty early in the UAB game as well. Uh, so, pretty good start for the Auburn baseball Tigers. They are up to four and zero. And again, we'll be chatting with Lindsey Crosby at five fifteen today. More about this Auburn baseball team. Some other things uh, we'll look out for from some of the individuals. One other news thing I wanted to get to today, or go ahead and get to before we take our first break. This is a one eighty. This is a curveball. This is into the kind of world of uh, football and, and announcing. I'm sure you guys saw. Uh, Eli Gold uh, is is now no longer going to be the yeah. Alabama. I missed uh, that play by play. You missed that, yeah, and not his decision, by the way. Uh, yeah. Alabama deciding that today. Yep. He said he is not retiring. So, uh, but uh, it will be Chris Stewart who what has in been. The world? Yeah, it's Chris Stewart is going to be starting to take over yeah. uh, those football play by play duties. He's been taking over with the other sports for a while now, and yeah. So I guess hey, your raw initial reaction there. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, he missed uh, a lot with the. Uh, I guess he had cancer, but he right. he had battled through that and sounded like he was fine. It, or I don't. I mean, you're never really fine after that, especially at that age. But I mean, I, you know, that's that's shocking. I I don't know why. Uh, 
they just cut a legend loose like that. I mean, he is a legendary voice of Alabama, and I'm curious to know what happened there yeah. for them to cut him loose. Right. I'm curious as well. It's very interesting. Uh, that is the timing and yeah. just kind of all how all that kind of transpired right that they just decided not to bring him back i i, I do find something that had very, to happen ha- it had to happen right yeah. maybe he want i don't know maybe he wanted some other guarantees maybe some things that they just didn't want to give him i don't know it's very yeah. interesting but hmm. yeah, it's chris stewart now yeah. <laughs> uh, and chris stewart i mean he did a fine job but i mean right he's not he, he's not he's, he's not, not eli, eli gold yeah, right eli uh, you know gold. that that would be like you know, when Rod Bramlett was here, and they were like, nah, we're just not going to bring Rod Bramlett back. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, that uh, that doesn't make sense. And uh, so Eli Gold is 70 years old, and we, as you mentioned, the, uh, the battle with cancer had come back this year. Uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not, uh, I, I must admit, I'm not a frequent listener of the Crimson Tide Sports Network, but <laughs> I don't Shocker. think that, uh, I don't think he was traveling to the road games this year. I don't think so. Uh, or at least not the further reaches of the conference, if I do recall. And in fact, I don't know if, did he, he did do the Iron Bowl, right? Did he do the Iron Bowl in Auburn? Uh, I'm not even sure he did the I, Iron I, Bowl in Auburn, actually. I thought he did. Okay, I, he did? I, maybe he did. I don't I, I'm know. not even 100% I think, sure. I think he, I I think no he did. Uh, so, but I, know, I think I remember them playing the playing his voice doing the that the uh, them winning. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know specifically on that, but uh, I, again, I do think that he was not going to every road game for sure. And I don't know. Maybe they wanted the consistency of one guy. I don't know. But it is tough to say no to someone that everyone knew so well like that. And uh, heck, I even knew Eli Gold. Uh, this y'all are gonna laugh at this from racing. Remember when he yeah, did yeah, some uh, TN? Uh, I guess it was was it TNN at the time, and then TNT. Something I think it was like another. That. It was a different station too in the late nineties. But anyway, uh, so yeah, he's not gonna be back at an Alabama play-by-play announcer. So that was very interesting to read that today. Uh, and so uh, yeah, it'll be a change there with uh, with their radio network. We're gonna go ahead and take. A, our first time out of the show. When we come back, we'll get to birthdays and sports. Again, if you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Sports call returns after this timeout. Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Or if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, we certainly appreciate you. However, you may be listening on this Wednesday afternoon. Again, reminder coming up at 5.15, Lindsey Crosby to talk some Auburn baseball today. And also in the 4 o'clock hour, uh, we're going to do a deep dive again in the transfer portal. There has been no new news uh, in the last few weeks in terms of the portal. Uh, the guys that are in there are, are kind of just floating around in there, 
looking for smaller homes to go to, uh, those that have not committed. But uh, alas, now that the cycle is kind of complete, now that spring practice is opening up in a week, uh, we're finally going to go through that list uh, and kind of uh, again not catch everyone up to speed, but again remind everybody of who all left and re- and then enter the program and rank some of the most important departures and arrivals just in time for spring practice to start next week. So that's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, but for, t- uh, for now, let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. All right, shorter list today. It starts with Alan Trammell, who is 65, former MLB shortstop and manager. Trammell played his whole career with the Detroit Tigers. In 19 seasons with Detroit, Trammell was a six-time All-Star a World Series champion, a World Series MVP, and four-time Gold Glove Award winner, three-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He finished his career with over 2,300 hits and over 1,000 RBIs. His number three is retired by the Tigers, and in 2018 he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, out of Kearney High School in San Diego, go Comets, and that's Comets with a K. But the other cool thing, Alan Trammell played minor league ball briefly in Montgomery when they were a Tigers organization back in the 70s. Uh, him and Lou Whitaker uh, okay. played together in Montgomery. So uh, yeah, neat little neat little thing there back in the seventies. Is yeah, I don't know the name of that team back uh-huh. then in the Southern <laughs> League, but yeah, Alan Trammell was in Montgomery. So yeah. Alan Trammell sixty five today. Leroy Burrell is fifty six, former track and field athlete. Burrell twice set the record for the hundred meter sprint. Burrell collegiately ran at the University of Houston. Oh, Cougars! He won four gold medals during his career and three silver medals in June of twenty twenty two. Burrell accepted the head coaching position at Auburn University. Uh, went to Penwood High School in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. Go Patriots! Okay, uh, you said what was this town now? Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. and it's Penn. P E N as in uh-huh. Pennsylvania Wood. Okay. okay. Pin right, Wood. Okay, that that flows then. That flows. Leroy Burrell is Patriots. Fifty-six today. And Wesley Steiner is twenty-two, current Auburn Tiger. Steiner or uh, has played in a multitude <laughs> of games over his career, playing in forty-seven. So far has amassed forty-nine solo tackles, as well as eighty-six total tackles since coming to Auburn. Steiner has been named to the SEC academic honor roll every season. Yeah, and he is from Warner Robins, Georgia. And attended Houston County High School. It looks like it's Houston, yeah, it's but it's Houston. not Houston. It's Houston County. Go Bears. Because our very own Brant Daughtry would know a thing or two about that. I think they played Houston. He went to Perry. Yeah, I yeah. think so, they were rivals. So they're they're so all right there together. I think yeah, they're rivals with Houston County, mm-hmm. so he would be able to tell you about that, too. Uh, also, Houston County, oh, goodness gracious, the, the tight end that Auburn had, its uh, brother played quarterback Fromm. at Georgia. Fromm, yeah. yeah. Fromm. yeah. The, all the Fromms there from yep. Houston County. There you go. Yep. So, Wesley Steiner is 22 today, and those are the birthdays in sports here on this Wednesday, February the 21st. Alan Trammell is 65, Leroy Burrell is 56, and Wesley Steiner is 22. Let's go ahead and take our next timeout of the show. When we come back, a little college basketball for you. Again, uh, a little bit more on Auburn as they have the midweek bye and they also try to figure out the status of Jalen Williams and then also look around the SEC basketball-wise uh, for the rest of this week. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. want 
to call into the show, send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. We're done paying the bills. Now back to sports call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday. T.P. Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls, which if you want to do that today and join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9. Let's talk a little SEC basketball and a little Auburn basketball. I know the Tigers do not have a game in the midweek this week. Uh, next up will be at Georgia on Saturday. Uh, but let's go over the SEC slate uh, one more time. So Tuesday night's games, um, we only had two, but they were interesting for different reasons. One was Tennessee struggling mightily on the road with uh, winless in the conference, Missouri. Tennessee was trailing as late as nine or ten minutes left in the second half. Uh, they do pull it out, but, uh, again, road troubles. Uh but speaking of troubles, Texas A&M, who continues to be the most fickle team in the SEC, they got really hot late January or so. They had run through a couple teams. They had uh, beaten Missouri to start off with, uh, but then they, they got the Florida win. They thumped Missouri again, and then they thumped Tennessee. But now here's their last three. Lost at Vandy, lost by 25 to Alabama, and now lost at home by seven to Arkansas. So Texas A&M uh, now squarely back on the bubble after getting a couple quality oh, wins so against weird. Florida and Tennessee. Uh, so they even lose at home. And A&M is one of those uh, just high-ceiling, low-floor type of teams where um, they have some really good wins, they have some good players, but there are just some naps that they take uh, that makes it rough for them to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, and then the stuff tonight on the schedule. So um, you do have four games in action in the in the league tonight, uh, and there is a ranked one between Alabama and Florida. That's 13 versus 24. That's a 6 o'clock game. Uh, Georgia, who again is Auburn's next opponent, has been struggling, but they do have the opportunity to go to Vanderbilt tonight, who is 7-18. and 18. Yeah. Uh, And then you've got number 17, Kentucky. They're going to LSU. Uh, LSU did just surprise South Carolina. We'll see if they can surprise Kentucky. And then the Battle of the Mississippi Schools, Ole Miss at Mississippi State. Ole Miss won a fierce one uh, earlier this year. Mississippi State trying to return the favor. Ole Miss and Mississippi State, these bubble-type teams where not only is it important to get that in-state rivalry tied up, but you really don't want uh, come Selection Sunday to see that you'd lost to your rival who's also on the bubble. Uh, and losing to them twice. So that's kind of a look around the SEC, guys. Anything stand out from last night or from uh, what's anticipated to happen tonight? Um, I mean, outside of just, I guess, the Tennessee struggling, uh, not not too much. This Florida and Alabama game tonight should be a pretty, pretty good one. Florida really is kind of low-key the hottest team in the SEC right now, just playing some really, really good basketball, um, you know, 
it'll be interesting to see that how how Alabama will fare against them. They will have to face them later in the season as well and go down to Gainesville. But uh, just to see if 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 Florida will be able to hang with them in Coleman, that should tell you some things, and 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 that should be an interesting game to say the least. That's the one that really that truly draws my attention is is that Florida and Alabama game that's going on tonight. But again, as Tennessee struggling against a, a Missouri team, winning on the road is tough. I mean, there's really no way around it. Every team's going to fight just a little bit extra when they're on their home court. It's just kind of how it is. Um, uh, you know, even Missouri who is, who is winless in the SEC, like you, like you said, uh, uh Ryan. And so it, it just kind of is what it is, but, um, yeah. So, so that's kind of what has drawn my eye for, for this slate kind of this evening and, and yesterday. Uh, I, I look at this Georgia team or Tom, go ahead. Right. Yep. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I can't really add anything else. Cam pretty much <laughs> so, took every word right out of my mouth there. Sorry, dog. So it's okay. Georgia last one. So they've lost six in a row. That's Auburn's next opponent. They beat LSU on January 24th. Since then, a close loss in overtime at Florida, 102-98. to That was the game Florida was leading by a million points. They uh, started to blow it. They had to go to overtime. Yeah. Florida pulled it out. Right. Uh, Georgia lost uh, a game to Alabama where they led pretty handily in the first half and got whipped in the second half. They lost at home to South Carolina, who, of course, is a good team. Lost by double digits at Mississippi State, then went to Arkansas and lost – and now lost hosting Florida this past weekend. So Georgia has lost six in a row. But as I mentioned, they do have Vanderbilt here in the midweek to try and get their first win in, in almost a month uh, before they play Auburn. So kind of a little bit unfortunate there. You'd like Georgia to just continually be struggling. And, look, maybe they have a whoops. Georgia's only favored by a point and a half tonight in Nashville. So yeah. we'll see. But – uh, that is, of course, Auburn's next opponent. And with some of the, the issues with Jalen Williams' status being very, un, I would say, unlikely to play. Yeah. Uh, you know, you that's the game that you really could start the things, uh, have things sour more than you want them to because you know how tough that Tennessee game is going to be. I would really I, I target that game because everyone's going to understand if Auburn loses at Tennessee. But if you do lose to a Georgia team that's now not looking to be destined for much, much, uh, excuse me, much postseason action, uh, that's when you're going to be starting to take more hits in the seed line because it'll look like a pretty bad loss. You take more hits in the SEC standings. Not that you're going to necessarily win, but if you want the top four and you want the double bye, right. I target that Georgia game as being very important. So I'm going to be interested to see how Georgia plays at Vandy tonight because, uh, again, they have been they have been as a bottom three team, bottom four yeah. team in the league the last last month. Yeah, I, and and that's. It's really kind of strange how they have fallen off because, I mean, Georgia, starting out, they were one of the hottest teams, went the surprise hot team that was just playing basketball at a, at a great pace with their wins and everything. And I, I don't know exactly what happened with them, but, they yeah, they have definitely fallen off. And, and that's uh, – you know, that plays better for Auburn, obviously. Um, you know, when you were looking – when we were looking at the schedule early in the season, we were talking about the daunting task of playing on the road at – certain teams and georgia was not one of those that we were able to look at and go well that's you know they can handle business here at that time wow. it was one of those you're like georgia is sneaky good right now sneaky dangerous always. and but they i and once they couldn't be sneaky then they, they just dropped the started, gun yeah they just started getting <laughs> their butts kicked so uh, but auburn's still gonna have to be able to go in there and take care of business it's not like georgia's gonna roll over and and let auburn have it and 
Auburn has shown that they have some struggles on the road. And so, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know what happened with Georgia. It's crazy how they fell off so bad. We asked Justin Ferguson about this on the show yesterday of the Auburn Observer. Uh, who joins the program weekly, what Auburn is going to have to do in the meantime at that power forward position without Jalen Williams. And I think right. logically, play time-wise, you're going to see more Chaney Johnson. But mm. how confident would you be in his ability to take more shots and be able to take some of the scoring loan? Because I also remember, Tom, we debated on Monday, you, me, and Brooks, we were debating a little bit about uh, you know how big a loss it was and – uh, me and Brooks were maybe a little bit more concerned than you were just because the points production, that sort of thing. I mean, yeah. he's your second leading scorer. Uh, so, I mean, scoring-wise, uh, do you just take on an even more defensive identity and you just say you're trying to grind out a couple wins? Or uh, do you try to, to make one of these guys, Chad Baker-Mazzara or, or, or Chaney Johnson, somebody more of an offensive focal point? No, I, I think you try to make them more of the offensive focal point. Um, I, I think one of the worst things that Bruce and that crew could do is to try to change their team dynamic and their playing style and the way they do just because of the one guy being out because you know, you preach the depth and you preach next man up and things like that. Well, then that's that's what this is. You have a guy that's going to be out for a little bit with an injury, so it's next man up. You don't just suddenly change what you do. So you're going to need the point production there. Now, uh, who is it going to be? You know, I don't know. Uh I would I would think Chad Baker Mazar has got to be your guy. He's he, I mean he just seems like the obvious choice there, but obviously they're going to have to figure something out there with Cheney Johnson. All um, my only thing with this team as it is right now, the depth is great. I love it, but the inconsistencies up and down the lineup are also a thing. So and that's why I was not so worried about the loss of Jalen Williams. Yeah, okay, he's the second leading scorer. But there's there's inconsistencies there because there there's games where he is gone. He's just disappeared, and you have nothing out of him. Yeah, and just, then there's games where he drops twenty four and is doing windmill dunks and just the craziest stuff you could imagine. But you could say the same thing about Chad Baker Mazar. There's games where he looks like he's about to drop a twenty spot, and there's other games that dude can't buy a shot if he was standing under the rim. So, I you know I don't know. I I think Mazar is definitely. The guy that can he can pour in the buckets when he's on. He can absolutely pour it in. But is he going to have a game where he where there's the a cover over the rim for him, or is he just make every shot that he throws? I don't know. Same thing with Chaney Johnson. There's games that he looks really good, and there's games that you're like, okay, well, what is he doing? You know, you need to go sit on the bench. So I don't know. Uh, like I said, love the depth, but the inconsistencies up and down that roster, that's what disturbs me is, is just the inconsistencies really among everybody there. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they move with, with losing the production of Jalen because it's so, it's so interesting because every game that Auburn has lost has been a game where Jalen Williams was not productive. So, uh, and, and even Bruce pointed that out, was there the games that we lost, we Jalen was, you know, had had tough games, you know, just wasn't efficient, you know, went like three for 11, something along, you know, just just bad games, right? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they're going to kind of be able to adjust after losing him because he's your second leading scorer. He's a catalyst for this team, you know, whether he's struggling or not. And again, I think it proves that when you lose, 
that he's not having a good game because he's that important in how the game goes and how he can he can you know provide so much on the offensive side and on the defensive side just with his athleticism and overall so it'll be interesting to see but I I don't see why Cheney can't figure out how to take that jump it'll be it'll be interesting to see if he'll be able to step into a role I'm not saying he has to take on you know the full role of Jalen but the athletic four he's got to figure out how to kind of uh get to his spots that he wants to get to be able to score he actually has a pretty solid little mid-range jumper uh that he can that he he just kind of hasn't gone to as much as as i'd like him to see because you know he, he's made a couple moves sometimes and i've seen it and i'm like oh that's that's good for him like i, I want to see him kind of do that a little bit more be a little bit more aggressive when he's when he's out there because sometimes it just seems like he's so timid still uh every once in a while it seems like he, he'll just kind of shrink back but now he he can't do that he can't afford to do that uh, Auburn kind of needs him to step up into this role and kind of figure it out and, and kind of be a little bit more aggressive in going after a shot kind of be, be a little bit more efficient be a little bit smarter in how he handles the ball so I think it'll be on Jalen and, and and Chad Baker as well just to kind of everybody has to pick it up just a little bit more now because you don't have Jalen you don't have that guy so you gotta everybody's gotta kind of go go up a little bit including the guards everybody's got to figure it out a little bit so uh, it'll be interesting to see against a, a really sneaky Georgia team uh, that has some talent and and, and uh, they they'll uh, you know uh, coach Mike White he's got them looking like like a decent team you know just a solid team in, in in a year two under Mike White they've been decent they've gotten some solid wins it'll be in Athens and and you know it being Auburn and a ranked team that they are it should be a pretty decent crowd uh on a on a saturday as well so there's a lot to take in and a lot to consider uh and i think it'll be an interesting game because what was i mean last year auburn lost to georgia right you got to think about that the year before auburn was blowing the doors off of them and then georgia came back and it was it was close one like closer than you'd want at the last second wendell green jr made it made it two and and so It'll be tough to play in Athens still. That, that's still a tough environment because, again, it is consistently tough to win on the road. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they how this team adjusts without Jalen. It'll be the first, obviously, the first game, but they have had a full week to, to prepare. That's the key kind of. They've had a full week this week to be able to prepare. Saturday to Saturday, rest, different rotations. We'll see how it works out. And, and look, I'll say this too. I, I, I kind of mentioned those – couple of guys being more posi- positionally uh, in line with with Jalen Williams, with with uh, obviously Chaney Johnson, but also Chad Baker-Mazar being kind of a three. Uh, I, I think that Bruce Pearl might end up playing Chris Moore a few more minutes. I, I think that this also provides an opportunity, even though it's not direct correlation, I think it provides an opportunity for Denver Jones to get more aggressive um, because – Denver's still a guy to me that I think needs to work himself into the game a little bit more. If he is not shooting for eight minutes at a time, you're not getting the best version of him. He is more of a volume guy. I feel as he's been more aggressive the last couple of weeks, you've started to see that. He's had three of his last five games and go for double figures. And I think that he's someone that you could stand to see shoot more than what he has. Obviously, we know what he did at FIU and being a 20-point scorer, and I just think that he's a guy that I liken to Flanagan. I made this comparison back when Auburn played Ole Miss. Flanagan is better the more involved he is. Like He is not able to be 
He's not very good at being the third or fourth best player out there on the floor. He he needs the ball and he needs to get going and get in his rhythm. And that's when he hits more of his step back jumpers and he gets going a little bit better. Uh, so when he was on the bad Auburn team, the one with Sharif suspended and all that, he was scoring 17, 18 a game because he had the ball the whole time. Whereas when Auburn got better and they got Jabari Smith, and they got Kessler, they got Wendell Green, et cetera. Uh, and he became more of a secondary option, he was not as fluid in that role from time to time. Now he's gone back to Ole Miss where he's more featured and he's scoring 16 a game again. And I think with Denver Jones, it's the kind of a similar dynamic where he was coming from a smaller school, yes, but just being able to have the ball and be active the whole game for him was kind of why he was able to get on these uh, these tears, whereas with Auburn, with more talent, with more bodies, uh, that are quality around him, you know, it, it's not your turn, my turn, because that's more ISO ball and, and that's more NBA stuff, but it's more like you're only going to get designated plays here and there. You've got other guys that are going to be more aggressive, and it's very easy for you to slide into not getting a shot in five or six minutes. And for a guy like Denver that's used to shooting the ball a lot, that's not an easy adjustment to go through. So I, I feel like it's the opposite of the law of diminishing returns, where actually if you give him the ball more, you're going to unlock more out of him. And I think you also saw it in spurts when you played him at point guard. He actually made a couple really good passes. I'm not going to marry myself to he's going to end up <laughs> passing it better than Trey right. or 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 uh, He's or not Aiden. your new point guard. Right. But uh, but he's got something there to him, too. And, sure. and with Aiden Holloway struggling, they've, they've tried that a couple times now. So I think that you could stand to get more of Denver Jones in a multitude of ways. And, look, I'm not panicked about Trey Donaldson. He had a bad game against Kentucky. He got in foul trouble. Kentucky did a really good job uh, of, of kind of breaking up the offense, both when he and Holloway were in there. Obviously, at this point with Holloway, he's down 30% from the field. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's been rough for him. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So they, they've got to look for ways to get Denver Jones very involved. And I think with, with your second-best scorer out in Jalen Williams, what can Denver Jones be more involved with? Because he's been a good defender. They're starting to mix him up in the point guard. Be more involved shooting threes and, 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 uh, and shooting the basketball, scoring the basketball. So there's nothing wrong with his efficiency so far this year. He's 42% from the field, 37% from threes. Nothing wrong with that. So let's see if – getting a little higher volume here in the next couple of weeks can unlock something else in him and more of the guy that maybe Auburn thought uh, they were getting. I can also tell you this, guys, not to go like deep dive Georgia game preview three days out. Katie Johnson will be very aggressive when he goes to Athens, Georgia. Yes, he will be. Yes, he will be. <laughs> uh, for, for better or worse, he is going to be uh, very engaged, and I think he will – be firing up every person in the building wearing orange and blue and in red and black. Uh, so that will be uh, an interesting dynamic to watch. But, uh, again, this is just a tricky part for Auburn these next couple games. I think the month of March opens up for them immensely. Uh, they're hosting Mississippi State. They're at Missouri, and then they're hosting Georgia. Um, really, even if Jalen Williams is back, not back, I, you got to win all three of those games, in my opinion. So, really, that's why I'm so focused on this Georgia game on Saturday. It means a lot because they could have a real palpable slide if they lose that game. Whereas, if they win it, they fight with Tennessee, but lose a close one and go win their March games, nothing's going to be wrong seed wise. They should still be top four in the SEC. There should be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Nothing will go very wrong for them if they can get through this game against Georgia. On, on Saturday, 
uh, in Athens. So that's that's why I'm kind of pinpointing that one so much and and looking into. It. We've got a few minutes left in this uh, in this hour. We'll keep it right here. Uh, just college basketball as a whole. Um, we mentioned in the open briefly. Number one, UConn losing to Creighton. I don't know if you guys saw this stat. This is incredible. UConn is a great program. We had a debate post last NCAA tournament. How blue blood are they? You know, where do you rank them all the time? This, that, and the other thing. So we know the respect of this program. They are 0 for their last 21 on the road against top 25 teams. Wow. So I get it. These are That's so you know, weird, right? Top twenty-five teams are good basketball teams, right. but most of those games UConn's been playing, they've also been a ranked basketball team, right? And they are zero in their last twenty-one. I don't know what some other streaks. I'd be very curious to to go see what the Kansas is and and uh, you know Kentucky's of the world are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think uh, I think that that is a very telling stat for a program that has no problems in March. I mean, they even went there with Kevin Ollie, who. Uh, <laughs> last couple of years, UConn did go great, right? Uh, so whether it was Calhoun or Ollie, or I mean, any anywhere you go, I mean, that's been a pretty successful program, and now under Hurley, so that's been a real struggle for them. Number eleven Baylor did lose to number twenty-five BYU again. That's another ranked team on the road. That's understandable. Top twenty San Diego State lost at yeah uh, yeah at, Utah State, yep. um, and then even the, the other top twenty-five teams at home, Texas Tech. Won by a point against TCU and 18th ranked St. Mary's barely beat the San Francisco Dons, 70 to 66. So crazy. And I told you about the Tennessee game. Every game except for the UConn Creighton game last night was close, involving top 25 teams. And you feel it. You you feel everything tightening up as you make the turn for March. Uh, that everyone's getting a little antsy. You're fighting for seating. Uh, you're fighting for uh, not only NCAA tournament seating, but conference tournament seating. And if you're those bubble teams um, out of the Mountain West and the Big 12 and all that, uh, you're, you're fighting for those quad one precious wins. And um, that's something that uh, Steve brought up yesterday in his call with the net rankings. You're trying to get that net ranking better, but then does the committee actually use that? Each and every day, because Auburn's net ranking, by the way, is seven. Sheesh. But they're a four seed. Right. So if you were a net ranking only person, that would be a two seed, uh, which I'm not advocating for Auburn to be a two right now. But I'm just saying if you were if you were solely net ranking, seventh best team in the country is a two seed. Uh, and so you have that. But then you also have the dynamic where, okay, if they're going to ignore that, do they ignore the bubble teams? So, right. oh, your net's 62. We can't put you in. Or your net's 37. you got to be in. So I'm interested to see, and the truth is, the committees kind of change each and every year, right? I mean, there's never – they don't really stay there's consistent. No, there's no consistent yeah. metric on how they, how they you, decide who's in, who's out, whatever, whatever. Here's my yearly question. Do you like the net ranking? Would you Would you – pair it pretty close to how you would see teams or is it just like some sort of ambiguous number to you that you don't put much stock into it's interesting because i do think it has value because i mean it's strictly based off numbers it has zero opinion whatsoever it's i i i I wish it would factor in a little bit more level of play right because 
some of these teams that are kind of in the top, let's just say 65. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that like San Francisco is somewhere in terms of like offensive efficiency with the net, things like that. Like, they're pretty high up there, but they play like lower competition. So it's not at all the same, you know, compared to the likes of, say, Houston, say, <clears throat> Auburn, say, Alabama, that's, that's playing all of these top teams, Purdue, that are, you know, just playing all these tougher, heavyweight, talented teams. So it doesn't really factor in strength of schedule, I don't think. Maybe it does. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that it does. It's a roundabout way of doing it's, it. Yeah, it's, it, but it's just yeah. all straight up, just straight numbers, which I can appreciate because it shows, oh, well, this team is pretty good, but it doesn't tell the full story, full stories like like. Like most numbers don't, you know, they don't tell the full story. So I do have an appreciation for how the net works. I think I think it should be factored in uh, to a degree, and I think it should be consistently factored in to a degree for teams. But when when you're you know selecting the field and stuff for the tournament, but other than that, I, I mean, I, I think it's useful. So uh, I, I'm kind of mixed with the net. I, I get why it's there. Uh, I I think a lot of times though it doesn't. You can see the eye test, and sometimes the net doesn't necessarily follow the eye test. Yeah, it doesn't tell the full story. The right. numbers don't. Yeah. So, but I'm about to mention a team, but now they they've kind of proven you wrong. But with South Carolina, South Carolina, their net was still very low because you know when they came here and played Auburn, their net was in the 40s, but they were ranked above Auburn in, in the eye test. You know, with the media and and things like that, ranked above Auburn, and it was because the eye test showed that. This team is playing really good ball, beating Tennessee and Kentucky. And, I mean, they're playing a great brand of basketball, but the net didn't see it. Then Auburn beats the crap out of them, and they turn around and then lose again right after that. And so maybe the net is actually telling you, it's like, hey, yeah, okay, they've won some games, but they're just the 40th-something team, you know, that has happened to win some games. So I get it, you know. Maybe maybe that net is kind of like Vegas, and you're not supposed to get you're not supposed to uh, uh, not trust it because you know Vegas. Sure, they they miss sometimes, but I mean, how many times is there a line and you kind of look at it and you're like, ugh, that's weird, and it pretty much seems like it hits like Vegas. Who do? It's like they know. It's like Vegas I don't knows know why what they, they know, but they do know. Yeah, and, but it's I like the, maybe the net actually knows Insider what it's talking trading, about. Trading probably. You may not like it. It may not follow the eye test of what you see, but maybe that net actually has some bearing to it because right. like i said the last couple of times south carolina has looked like a number 40 some odd team not uh what were they ranked when they played auburn 11th 11th <laughs> they, they definitely have not looked like the 11th best team in the country they have looked more like a 40 ranked team so uh yeah yeah it, it's, I, I it's, said, got, it's got its points yeah again i said last week oh you know they're they're might maybe not 11th but they're not 40th and then they lost to lsu at home and yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not going to keep. Di- right. I'm not going to die on that hill. Uh, there's there's plenty of hills to die on. I'm not dying on that hill. So that, I don't think it's perfect, and I don't think anyone think it does. But um, you know, I, I think it serves a a better purpose than the RPI did. I do think it's better than that because that's what RPI RPI used to be the uh, the the way teams would be measured on the bubble, and you'd want your RPI number to be. You know, forty or higher if you're a bubble team, forty-five or higher if you're a bubble team, and obviously one of that very high RPI um, for the top seeds as well. So, you know, I think net's okay. Um, I think that this, as everyone would want, uh, 
you need to be forthcoming and say why you would use it in one situation and not the other and this, that, and the other. And also there's this thing in basketball too, which we don't have time to debate this because we're running out of time for the hour, but is a win against an okay team better than a, a close loss to a really good team? And you have a lot of differing opinions on that too because there's some teams that have a hellacious non-con schedule or whatever that, that get a lot of close losses to top 10 and 20 teams, whereas other teams will play the 80th best team in the country or whatever, beat the brakes off them, and you're trying to determine which is better. And, again, that can be a matter of opinion, and that tries to spit it out all the same. But, uh, again, that that's kind of always the dilemma there too with, with what should be valued more when it comes to tournament time and resume time. We are out of time for hour number one of the show today on the other side of this break we'll get to our orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time today reminder that lindsey crosby is coming up at 5 15 of auburn daily also in the four o'clock hour we want to get to some transfer portal stuff for auburn uh no no new additions but we want to kind of power rank the most important gifts for the tigers in this transfer portal cycle you're listening to the wednesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of the show. Today I've got Cam Berry and Tom Peavy with me. Again, T.P. Hammock is running the board and taking your phone calls. Coming up in just a little bit, again, we're going to go through the transfer portal now that, again, it, there's been nothing new in a few weeks, so I'm going to proclaim it over with for this cycle. Someone will enter the portal, or not enter the portal, someone will commit out of the portal tomorrow, and then it'll all be for naught. But we're going to go over our most important transfer departures and arrivals for Auburn as we head in the spring practice next week. So that's coming up in just a little bit. But for now, let's go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show this afternoon, Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you today? Hello, Ryan. Hello, Tom. What's up? What's wow. going on, man? Excited today. Yeah, hey, Auburn won, right? Uh, in, baseball, in baseball, yes. Yeah. That's how I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. 7-2. Good game. Nothing 
she at home alone. My dad paid me twenty-five dollars to wash all my clothes and my mom and dad's clothes and the sheets. Uh, okay. You, you, you guys never parents, your guys' parents never gave me twenty five dollars or washed clothes or anything uh, like that? I uh, can't say that they have. Maybe I should get them too. Yeah. But hey, I would I, I wanna talk about well first I wanna start off with Cam. Because Ryan and Tom already asked you these questions. All right. Cam, what do you think about the three games left for Auburn's schedule? against like Georgia this week? And then we got to play Missouri, I mean, Tennessee, then Missouri. And do you think Auburn could do better? What have they, well, what I'm trying to say is what have they learned from the mistakes they when they played Kentucky, when, when they played Georgia and Tennessee and then Missouri, and then we got the state. Well, I think Auburn's going to kind of have a bit of a tough time. They're going to have to adjust after, I mean, after losing Jalen Williams in the Kentucky game, they're going to have to figure out a way to create some production without him uh, to make up for his loss and his, you know, points per game and things like that. So they're going to have to figure out a lot. Honestly, this week off probably was very helpful and couldn't have come at a better time for Auburn. Uh, and I think that, you know, they, they'll come out uh, within this Georgia game with some energy, hopefully some fire with a, a kind of um, maybe not some re- rejuvenance, but just a kind of a new look Auburn team that's not so focused on the bigs. Yes, they still have Janai, but they're going to need other people to step up to score. So it'll be interesting. Uh, and, and I think they're just going to have to navigate through that through the next few games. So we'll see how it plays out. So, uh, so before I answer, before you answer the Tennessee and Missouri game, what player on Auburn, like, because for Auburn, for KD, who would you put him on the guard against on Georgia's player? Yeah, so I, I think that again, KD is is as a bench guy. I mean, he's going to get a couple different assignments when. Uh, when they do play, just depending on if Georgia's got some of their starters out there versus some of their reserves. Uh, they're not a team with a bunch of star players. Um, uh, they're a team that uh, I don't think they have a score above 12 or 13 points per game. So it's a by-committee approach that is kind of similar to how Mike White's done in the past. Uh, I think Abdul Rahim, their guard, is going to be a guy that, that Katie Johnson could see some of, maybe Noah Thompson. Uh, would be another one of their leading scores. Really, all their leading scores are guards. So uh, that while they don't have one that just goes crazy, they've got four or five different options for them there. So it, it would be a multitude of guys. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, that's our show. Well, hey, uh, Tom and um, Ryan, uh, who do you guys who do you guys put Baker for more on? Georgia's guard. Say that one more time. Uh, for uh, for more. For so Chris Auburn, Moore, yeah. Who would and and Baker? Who would you put them on on Georgia's guards? Uh, again, I, so Abdul Rahim is a bigger guard. He's six 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 seven. So probably him, Chad Baker Mazar for him. 
uh, I think would be a pretty good idea. Now, maybe Chris Moore, too. Uh, but so I, I know I said KD, but KD's going to probably guard someone a little smaller than that. Thompson's a six four yeah. guard and and that sort what of thing. Hate, so I hate to I hate to interrupt you, but I got a voice on my dad, so I'm going to hang up and I'll listen to the rest of what you guys say on my questions. Okay, sounds good. Appreciate the phone call, Matt. I talk to you guys Monday. Hey Cam, what's up, See man? You. See you, Cam. See ya. Hey, hey Thomas, ever get ask your girlfriend another? Trivia question for me. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll we'll make sure we get that going. All right, guys. Matt. Appreciate that phone call. That is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn, joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, again, matchup wise, again, uh, Matt asked for it not to go too deep dive, but again, um, really they don't have too many big bigs. Um, that they're a team that uh, plays a lot of guards. Uh, even their guys that are six six, six seven are listed as guards. It's kind of how they play. Um, but you know, for Chris Moore, you're going to want to put him on someone uh, maybe more uh, like R.J. Melendez. He's a little bit bigger guy. Um, you know, Thompson's probably someone for KD. Uh, Abdul Rahim's probably someone for I guess Chris Moore while he's in the game. But then Chad Baker Mazzara, once he comes in because he's six seven six eight. Um, you know, they they play Blue Kane a little bit, and he's a, a shooter off the bench. Uh, a little bit of score off the bench. So, they, they again, they play a lot of guards. Um, they are not a big team, and that will provide an opportunity for Auburn to score down low. It'll make the how they defend on, at the perimeter a little more important. But it is not a team that possesses a guy that Auburn will probably worry too much about down low. Uh, and that's also why it's a little more regrettable you don't have Jalen Williams because you think that he could – really make some hay down there and be able to to add to what you're trying to do against Georgia's setup down low. So uh, we'll break that more uh, more down on Friday, but uh, Matt, I uh, appreciate the phone call. So, uh, again, I think there will be a lot of different guys, and, and some of their, those guards are bigger guards, so uh, I don't think we'll see the two-point guard lineup or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I think Baker Mazar and Chris Moore will be key guys there on the likes of Abdul Rahim and, and those guys. We're going to go ahead and take our first break of the 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, let's talk a little football. Let's recap the transfer portal cycle for Auburn by giving you the most important departures and arrivals. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. wants to hear from you give us a phone call at 334-887-3401 i'm jeff whitaker jr former auburn tigers defensive tackle and national champion and you are listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday afternoon. T.P. Hammock is running the board, taking your phone calls. Again, if you want to give us a call today, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. All right, guys, so again, as promised, we were thinking about doing this segment last week. We shelved it till this week. Um, when we had more time to devote to, to it. Uh, spring practice starting next week for Auburn. Um, talked a little bit about that with Justin Ferguson yesterday. And with that, we know this cycle, the cycle's been over in terms of people entering the portal uh, unless you had a head coaching change. But, of course, with all the big names having really decided and that sort of thing, the cycle's kind of also been over just from guys choosing. There are some Auburn guys that hit the portal that don't have their next uh, destination figured out yet, but alas, that part of the exercise we don't need. But we do want to go over the most notable few guys that are leaving and then rank the notable guys coming in here. So let's start with the pot departures, and then we'll get to the arrivals. Um, again, a lot of guys did end up hitting the portal. Um, some of the notables here – I think it really got more notable the later it went. Yeah, There was guys like Malcolm Johnson Jr. and Jair Shorter and Steven Johnson that were early. Um, but some of the later guys, you did have Robbie Ashford. You had Javarius Johnson. You had Brian Batie, who then decided to come back to Auburn. Uh, you had Donovan Kaufman. You had Cam Riley. So what would you rank your top two or three most important departures there? Well, I, I, I think the most important – I, I'm going with Malcolm Johnson. I, I think he was he was one that uh, I thought was going to get some playing time and, and help out there, but uh, uh, alas, he is gone. Uh, you know, Javarius Johnson, that's a big one. Uh, Donovan and then Donovan Kaufman. I, actually, do you know Donovan Kaufman made me my my first? I, I take that back. Yeah, I that think Donovan. I think Donovan Kaufman. Now that I think about it. Donovan Kaufman is probably the biggest. He was uh, a guy lost. on that safety. He was yeah. your, your kind of your your anchor on that outside, yeah. the, or you know, just on that back end there. Uh, so it, it was pretty unfortunate for him to go. Uh, I thought I thought that was the most important loss yeah. in my opinion. I thought that was. I, yeah, that's why I like had to backtrack on that. I was like, yeah, Donovan Kaufman, uh, and then you know Malcolm Johnson. Any any of those guys that you lost from that wide receiver room. Hey, I get it. They weren't very good, but they were bodies. But they, but they were bodies. Then, then. But they were bodies. Yeah. I feel you. I feel um, you. They must have a. I mean, there must be a pretty decent amount of faith in this in yeah. this freshman class coming in. That's all I can say based off based off the wide receivers. And then you did add, add the add the wide receiver um, uh, from uh, Georgia State as well, and, uh, and Cal. Yeah, and, yes, and Cal as well. So you you do have have those have those pieces coming in and the guy from Cala, you know, uh, at least you, you know, Sam, Sam Jackson, the fifth, uh, he has, he has some familiarity as well with, um, wow. Name just slipped my Peyton mind Thorne. with Peyton Thorne. That's bad. Shame on me. Um, and so some, some familiarity with Peyton Thorne, at least you have that. So that's kind of a positive. Uh, and, and so you, you have some things that you could, you could work with, but that loss, I, I agree that the loss of the two wide receivers, as well as Donovan Kaufman, that's a big one. At least you, you supplemented the loss of Kaufman with the pickup of Jaron Thompson. Uh, I felt like that was a, a great, 
you know, a great addition to a loss, I guess, if that makes sense at all. Uh, and, and and then another addition to your D-line and Trill Carter. Uh, so two guys from Texas. I thought those were pretty pretty good additions as well. Uh, another one that I'm going to talk about this departing, and and it would – it would be laughable if you know if you just if I don't preface this with something else. But I think losing Robbie Ashford is big, but not for quarterback. I think Robbie Ashford has the talent and the athleticism to play another position if he would just do that. I don't think he's going to be a quarterback. And he goes to South Carolina. He's not going to play quarterback at South Carolina. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but I'm yeah. very intrigued by it. I'm I, I, so yeah. intrigued by what they're going to do. I know Beamer's going to do something interesting with Robbie Sure, I, but I don't I, know what, But though. it's not going to be It's not going to be quarterback. The, the kid is not an SEC quarterback. He's just, he's just not. But he is so athletic that you can find a way to get him on the field, put the ball in his hands, and he can be electrifying. And so I don't like the idea of losing that because you're losing a very good athlete. But he's just not going to be a quarterback. I, I don't. I, think that's I don't. Just what he wanted to do more I, than yeah. anything. But I just don't. I don't see who's. No, I think he's. I, they're going to at least give him a chance to compete for the job. Yeah, I think. If so you as read well. South Carolina stuff, he's out. Yeah. They don't have I, other guys. Yeah, yeah, they don't have anybody. That, I thought that was. The, yeah. I was going to. I was going to say that as well. They don't really have yeah. no, uh, anybody after Spencer Rattler. They, right. they don't. So well, he'll I have agree a shot, with you. I don't think he's a good SEC quarterback. I also agree. But he's going to compete for the drop, 100%. Interesting. Um, Beamer ball. <laughs> uh, Departure-wise for me, I think it's Donovan Kaufman. Um, you lose a lot of players in that defensive backfield, most of them to, um, to NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, you draft. lose, what, three three guys that were out of eligibility slash go in the draft, with DJ James, Jalen Simpson, and Nehemiah Pritchett. Right. Uh, I know those are really corners, but – You've also got Kaufman trying to play uh, different positions too, and you're going to have to move some guys. And you're basically just having to replace almost everyone of consequence in the defensive backfield. And you just that was not a guy you had to lose. So um, for me, that's him. I would have been more disappointed in Javarius Johnson transferring if I did not realize what Auburn was getting. And the high school ranks right. and want ready to go right. ahead and see it. Yeah. Why wait? Just go ahead and see it. You're still ultimately he's a 400 yard receiver. I mean, you know, he's he's not all. I mean, he's not bad. He was clearly better than the the other guys they had. Mm-hmm. But that's not someone that you just say. You know what? I don't want to see Perry Thompson yet because I got Javarius Johnson. I don't want to see even Malcolm Simmons yet because I got you know obviously Coleman be on the edge, but. Um, I don't want to see Malcolm Simmons or Bryce Kane yet because we need another year of Javier Johnson. I I was fine with with that ultimately once you get what you got and they as you said they did bring in another transfer portal wide receiver. We'll talk about him in a second. So you know Cam Riley, okay. I mean he was more productive last year. Uh, not your best linebacker though. You also brought in some absolute dudes at linebacker in the recruiting class that you wouldn't mind seeing a little bit earlier too. Um, so, you know, I, I think that that loss is okay. Again, Kaufman, I think, is the bigger one. And then Ashford, I mean, the only thing is there, I mean, yeah, you don't want that somehow bite you in the butt and, and him end up being um, being really good at South Carolina. I, I doubt that. I think he'll be a really good runner. I think that they will probably uh, have every right to try if he, if he wins a job or wins a package or whatever, try to be the runner. But, uh, you know, I – I think that he was not. Sometimes you got to look at circumstances, and he was not going to win this job 
and they were not going to play a more run quarterback only style of offense with these big time receivers coming in here. So um, I think it's one of those situations if he succeeds, great for him, great for the kid. But sometimes you need different situations, and I just don't think that Ashford's situation was going to be conducive to him being quarterback or anything like that here. And uh, he doesn't want to move the wide receiver, and that's fine. He has every right not to want to move the wide right. receiver. But um, I, again, I think that I said at the time, I think that if he had been willing to move the wide receiver, Sam Jackson the fifth wouldn't have come here because Sam Jackson fifth was Cal's quarterback. Let's not forget that. He played right. quarterback against Auburn this year. He did. 2023. And he is deciding to move to wide receiver. Auburn announced him as a wide, wide receiver, receiver. Transfer, transfer. He is not a wide receiver. So that's the gadget guy that Ashford could have tried to be if that's what he wanted, but it's not what he wanted. So alas, you move on. And so they're going to try Sam Jackson. And, and I again, I said reasonably expectation for Sam Jackson the fifth. Can there be one trick play that you absolutely fool someone this year with him? Right. And that's probably his pathway to what they're trying to get out of him. Uh, but so, yeah, transfer exodus-wise, a lot of names here. Tyler Fromm, Jair Shorter, you know, Amari Kelly, Malcolm Johnson, et cetera. But you want those – you, you 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 yeah, Wilkie Denon. You want those wide receivers. That you want the new guys. You're ready yeah. for it in this day and age of now, 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 now. Go, I mean, Cam Coleman needs to be on the football field. Perry Thompson needs to be on the football field. Yeah. You know, I mean, like now. Not not, not in sophomore year now. So – uh, I'm good. I'm good with those ultimately. So let's go to the arrival portion of this. Now we did mention wide receiver Robert Lewis from Georgia State. He was a nearly right. 900 yard receiver at Georgia State. I, I, some people might label him <laughs> kind of like Jair Shorter. We'll see. Jair Shorter was a very productive receiver at North Texas, similarly, and obviously did not offer much production. Ho- I hopefully Robert Lewis will be different. Um, but that's another option for you with veteran experience. If some of the younger, maybe if Bryce Kane or Malcolm Simmons is not coming along, that that's where Robert Lewis would fit in right there. Um, and a bunch of other guys. I won't talk about all these individually. Right. So, guys, you have at it for the arrivals portion of this most important three or four arrivals to you. All right. So, uh, one in particular that I'm very interested to see how he's going to work out, I and I don't think that he is – of the most important position, I've got two that are there, but this one in particular is Percy Lewis coming here from Mississippi State on the offensive line. Six eight three forty five. Holy mess! Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Good lord. Um, obviously, Auburn has needed help and size like that on the offensive line. So you bring a guy in that six eight three forty five that has SEC experience. Yes, please. So let's go. However, I I think the most important are going to be Trill Carter and Gage Keys on that defensive line because that's an area that you're wanting to shore up and you're wanting to make sure that that defensive line is good. And I I think Trill Carter coming from Texas and Gage Keys coming from Kansas are two guys that that can really help uh, with that defensive line. And so, to me, those may be the two most important that you're actually getting out – I would say outside of Robert Lewis and Sam Jackson on the wide receiver to shore that up to go with the freshman, that's big time. But to get those two dudes to come in here and help out on the defensive line, I, I think that's that's huge. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, all those, all the, the the defensive line. Ugh, words are hard, right? 
Uh, the defensive line additions, like you said, you know, Trill Carter. I mean, all, I mean, all of these guys, are, they're big-time additions, I feel like, that will instantly be able to contribute to what Auburn is trying to do. Uh, so it, it will surely be interesting. I'm very, I'm very excited to see what they bring in. Um, and, and, I mean, you know, the departures were the departures that just kind of felt like they needed to happen. Like you said, Ryan, the Rodgers receivers, you just can't, you can't keep these freshmen that are coming in off the field. They have to play now. They are, they are play now guys. Uh, and, and so they are expected, I would say, to immediately bring in some production. So, you know, I think just these wide receivers that left kind of read, read that on the walls and just kind of felt like it was time for them to move on. And, and I mean, that's just kind of how it is. It's business is business. So, you know, that, that's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah. The, the other guy that I want to mention is Antonio Kite coming in here from Alabama. Uh, he's a cornerback. So here's my thing with that. Was he a highly rated cornerback coming out of high school? No. Was he good enough that Nick Saban and that Alabama staff wanted him? Yes. yes. So that – I mean, if anything – if there's a defensive back that goes that Nick Saban wants enough to bring into his program, and he has the opportunity to come to Auburn, then I, that's a take. And you know, how is he going to fit in with everything? I don't know, but obviously he's talented enough that Saban wanted him on that team. And so, uh, really, I mean, anytime that you can get a guy from Alabama, you get two guys from Texas. I mean, goodness gracious. They're obviously good enough if they were wanted by that those top programs like that. If you can get some of those guys, then then all the more power to it. Um, you know, you you know, I wonder you know about uh, uh, Dorian Mossy from Duke. You know, linebacker, mm, okay, but you know, you kind of like mm, it's Duke. You know. Well, I mean, well, last year Duke's defense no, no, no. was damn good. No, no, yeah. no, they have been. Yeah. But I'm talking as a program, and, you know, they, Duke is never one of those that recruits right. at the highest level. Alabama and Texas right. recruits at the highest level. You can say the same thing with Gage Keys coming out of Kansas. Kansas has had a – they've had a much better football program and teams than they have normally had, but Kansas never recruits at that highest level. Uh, Rico Walker, the tight end from Maryland, same thing. Maryland's never that top recruiting group. So if if you're able to steal guys away from teams that are those elite recruiting type programs, then you got to understand that there's a reason that they went there. There's a reason that they were wanted by them. They turned down if they went to Bama or Texas, then they turned down a lot of other people to go to those programs. And so if you're able to get some of that and dip into those pools, then then that's great. Um, but like I said, just. Position-wise, the defensive linemen, uh, the Trill Carter and Gage Keys, I think, are the two big ones at, at defensive line. But then the absolute biggest would be obviously the offensive tackle, Percy Lewis. So again, I just want to see what that dude looks like. Yeah, uh, and and I'm mean, look, he's going to play because he's he a multi-year starter at State, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's going to be a big time addition. No pun intended. Um, the thing about schools is this: even with smaller schools that or might be having a good year this new age of the portal and that sort of thing, they still have competent players that, you know, what will happen is some of them will go off to the bigger programs like Auburn. And when they have been playing there, it's one thing to be a freshman or something coming from there. But in the case of Dorian Mossy, he had 61 tackles, three and a half for a loss last year. So he's one of their leading tacklers and on a good defense. So the way I look at some of these transfer guys is, yes, if you are younger, you defer more to maybe the program because that's where they were able to to get on scholarship, to uh, get committed to uh, to in, in a big program wanting them. If they are older, 
and they have production, then you look at, okay, even if it is a smaller school or they're producing ahead of everyone else at that school, they might be above what's normal for that school or, or that type of program. So that's the way I would look at it. And also, when I look at these additions for Auburn, because there's about nine of them in the portal, what Auburn was able to do is basically replace the guys they lost in the portal. Like, if you want to think about this in terms of roster management, you want to think about this as trying to almost make trades. I know that's not what we're exactly doing here, right. but make trades. You lost Cam Riley at linebacker, right? He played a good bit. You brought in Dorian Mossy. Okay, Mossy, I just said 61 tackles, three and a half loss. You might rather have Dorian Mossy than Cam Riley. And so you bring that in. He's going to be one of your linebackers. Um, you had Donovan Kaufman leave. But then you have Jaron Thompson enter, who started at safety for two years for Texas. Had 83 tackles back in 2022, which is a large number for safety. Last year, not as involved tackling. Had 38, but he did have three interceptions last year. So he's your Donovan Kaufman replacement. Time will tell if he's better or not. But he was starting at Texas. Um, and then you have some other examples. You have tight end. Okay, Tyler Fromm didn't play much. That's fine. Number three tight end or so. Well, you're bringing in Rico Walker from Maryland and four-star recruit. Was a freshman last year. Okay, maybe he does not become anything. But you're replacing him basically one for one with Tyler Fromm. So maybe you got did get something better. Maybe he does become the tight end after Rivaldo Fairweather leaves. But if he doesn't, you're repla- technically if you want to match it up one for one, you're replacing with uh, you're replacing Tyler Fromm with him. Um, another guy that you could look at. Uh, would be uh, if you were going to go defensive line wise. Yes, this is more. Um, it's more about replacing Marcus Harris, uh, who goes pro. But you have Steven Johnson and you have Wilkie Denon leave. You bring in Gage Keys and Trill Carter again. I would I would caution Gage Keys and Trill Carter more of an answer to uh, Marcus Harris leaving and, and Johnson and that sort of thing. But uh, you bring those two in and. I would say to me the most important for Auburn to have gotten right is probably one of those two guys. I won't marry myself to any one particular. Maybe Trill Carter ahead of Gage Keys because Trill Carter, again, played at Texas, had five sacks in his career at, at Texas from that defensive line spot, 300-pounder. Uh, because those guys need to play and need to be good right now. Yeah. Because, they're, they're like again, Auburn's got some guys. They got on the edge. They got Amaris Williams, who they're, who's going to contribute probably pretty quickly. Um, but they need some beef in the middle after what they lost with Jason Johnson and Marcus Harris. And so they need at least one of those guys to be pretty good right away. And so Trill Carter, for me, might be the most important. Uh, Jaron Thompson's close because, again, Auburn needs something on the back end, and I, I think Jaron Thompson will start. I think he will be very important for them. Um, but uh, those are kind of the guys that lead the way for me. Antonio Kite would be nice if he works out. Um, because he is another DB, it's position need. Auburn recruited okay. They didn't get any studs in the recruiting class, right. but they got three, four guys in there. Um, but I think that Thompson and Carter, the two Texas guys for me, most important because you're playing on a team that just went to the Final Four, right. uh, and you're two positions of need on that defense. The defense needs a lot of help. Because yeah. even though you look at last year and you say, "Wow, the defense saved Auburn a couple times." They lost half lost, of it. Lost half you know? of it. Yep. I mean, so so Auburn's really this is the year where they actually got 
a lot of developing to do because, yes, they're starting to finally bring in the talent they want to bring in, but they're all freshmen, so they're not all going to all be good right away. Some of them might be. You hope Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson and, and some of those defensive guys like Riddick or Waller are somebody good right away. But not all 20, 22 guys in the class are going to be, right. be contributing day one. And so this is where you start to get first signs of development necessary with all you've been losing and all you need to improve on. Yep. Uh, so here's the one thing that now I want to bring this question to you two. Uh, most disappointing thing about the portal class right now, to me, it's, to me, it's the fact that they did not get a quarterback. Yeah. Now, was there something else that about this that disappoints y'all, or do y'all agree that Auburn should have gone the quarterback route? I think with the amount of quarterback, good quarterbacks that were out there. I think that first I start with, so the answer is yes. What I wanted to know is if, and again, some people might think this is an absurd question, but I want to ask it anyway because I asked it at the time. What was Auburn's situation, NIL, remaining money looking like? Yeah. Were they trying to save it for Ryan Williams? Did yeah. they have enough to try to keep Ryan Williams in the in the fold, or or try to get him and keep Perry Thompson in the fold and target a big quarterback? Again, I just want to know. I, I don't know one way or the right. other. Just pure curiosity. But pure it is curiosity. just very it is very possible that in their first go around of this uh, of really recruiting at the level they need to recruit at in the NIL era, which has only been a couple of years, so it was only Brian Harson and now this first year of Hugh Freeze. It's very possible that they were. Uh, they were about out of what they wanted to spend this cycle. So if that's true, it's still disappointing. You want to say spin, 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 but you're in program building mode. You're not a quarterback away. But if you did have resource there to be able to do it, then, yeah, the answer is obviously yes, because this coaching staff is still waffling about the the quarterback process. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they went from before the bowl game, Peyton Thorne's the guy, no questions asked, to watching that bowl game saying, you know what? We're going to have a competition here. And that's probably not something that should happen after one game that's game number 13 that's in a 6-6 six and six team playing in a bowl game. So that is concerning. And if that was truly that close, you should have been way more proactive in making sure you had something available to, to, to bring in a quarterback. So I absolutely think the answer is yes. Cam, what about you? Yeah, I, th- I felt like they wanted to try for a quarterback. I felt like he wanted to go and, and get one. But I also felt like he didn't love the offense that was ran this past season. It wasn't in the vision that he wanted. I think that kind of is factual with the firing of of, of Montgomery uh, and wanting to now being the, the play caller that, you know, being official and, and he's going to be the one that runs the offense. So I think that certainly is something that is, is going to play a deciding factor. Um, so I think maybe he'll potentially put Peyton in better situations to be successful if he ultimately does win the starting job. Right. You know, there, there is some speculation that maybe, you know, Walker White could come in and potentially has the has has that ability to to be the day one starter as well. I don't know how serious they're going to take Hank Brown. I, I'm not going to sit here and say he's a full contender. I would probably, and then you still have Holden. So you still, you have, you have some options here with some potential, um, so I think it's just a matter of that. I think they did want to go and try and get a big name game changer type of situation type of guy, but 
maybe they just like you said you know didn't have the nil money didn't have whatever the to to really get the job done really seal the deal uh and so now you you have what you have and you got to work with it um there is some talent there i think we can all agree that there is some talent there you don't you obviously walker being a true freshman you don't want to throw him into the fire if i mean unless he literally goes out and takes the job then i mean you have no choice but to to play him um because he he's he was the best you know he's the best quarterback for for the job uh but other than that i mean you know there, there are options and look i think tom to the original question i think this played out most obviously with cam ward yeah. because that's a guy we all mentioned yes like you should be after that guy if you're going after a quarterback cam ward should be the guy yep and then you know they're not involved really much at all early in the process because they're saying that's ah, peyton thorne the bad bowl game happens, and then all of a sudden they try to get in last second with Cam Ward, and then Ward tells them he's going pro, and then he, in fact, does not go pro. Right. So you went from uh, not kind of being on him from the get-go to trying last second to to get in on him and then think you lost because you lost to the, the, the shield, and then you end up – uh, losing out because he didn't did end up going somewhere else, and you know that that's a diff, difficult pill to swallow there because if you'd been in on him from the beginning, maybe that would have mattered, right? Uh, and been all all in on some change there. And look, Peyton Thorn, you took Thorn at the time because he had two years. Well, now he's down to one year. So really, at this point, um. You don't have to feel like, oh, you know, this is a long-term developmental project because it's not. You only have one more year of him. You're trying to – obviously, you need to win and start winning more in 2024. But uh, So you choose the best guy because of that. But if you can find a better guy for 2024 and you keep all your other future options in the fold, then you go do that at, at that point if you, that's how you feel about Peyton Thorne. So uh, I, I don't think that they handled that well. Uh, and they, I mean, I really hope, but I'm going to be skittish about the fall when it comes around and Thorne's quarterback, and yeah. he has some 8 of 16 for 60-yard performances, and we're just same place as, as year one, and you say, wow, could have been avoided. You, you could have gone portal route. And and the fact that you've brought in all these hotshot wide receivers who are going to – they are going to want to get the ball to them. Right, 100%. If – if you've got a quarterback that is inept that can't get the ball out there, then why are these guys going to stick around? I mean, then you're going to have to be, play big time recruiting your own guys to where you're telling the you know Cam Coleman and them if they start looking around. Then you have to really start telling them, hey, listen, we're going to fix it. We're well, going to fix it. Well, you could right. have already fixed it. Yeah, potentially. And, I, and well, I, I would hope that obviously there's always that no, you know, seniority type of thing, right? And with the receivers they are so big and they they knew that probably they were going to be playing before even Walker played. I think they came here to play with Walker. Just just spaced off speculation. I think that they have come here because they have wanted uh, not only to be at Auburn, but I think they like what they see coming out of quarterback from Walker White. I th- I think that they would have at least a year of patience to see how that would play out. So I I also think that 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 has has something that could play a part as well because I mean he was so active just in recruiting in general just 
within the class, right? Sure. I mean, just I mean, he got to know all of those guys. Would was at the camps with them. Was when when he would come to Auburn and even doing the Auburn camps, they were there. Bryce Kane was there. Malcolm Simmons was there. You know, Perry Thompson. I mean, they were all there. So he's he has a a bond with these guys right. that really probably none of these other quarterbacks have already because they they're coming in together so and, i think that will play a part yeah and, and that's the thing i mean we're talking about this now but once the season rolls around it might be walker white playing quarterback and not right exactly and, and not Peyton it Thorne. very well could we be. may not even have to worry about this uh, if walker white is all that he's been built up to be and you watch his highlights in high school and everything like that granted you it's Man, it's tough to start a true freshman at quarterback in the SEC. There, yeah, it it happens. There's some guys that are successful with that, but it, oh boy, you're really playing with fire when you right, do that, right? But if he if practices come around and if he's just flat out better than Peyton Thorne, then all right, then it is what it is, right. and run with it, exactly. and and then we may not even we may be looking back on this conversation going, Jesus, we were idiots. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it I mean, how even, could we tell? You it know? wasn't even Peyton Thorne right. all along. How could how could we tell? We we yeah. for for right now, based off the looks of it, even though Hugh Freeze said it's the mo- it's wide open, right? I mean, he said that after the bowl game and and at the end of the season that the quarterback room, uh, the quarterback competition, it was going to be wide open. He didn't commit to Peyton Thorne at all, but right. just based off what we know, right? Peyton Thorne was the starter for the entirety of the season. You would sure. expect him to improve the the things that he was deficient at this past season or at least get back to the form where he was at Michigan State and, and get back to being the the you know 3000 yard passer that he was well he had and, that one season he he was that for one season but then his last season at Michigan State he was not right. i think some injuries right. uh, happened in there but inconsistencies yeah, right. but his, but his numbers that last year at Michigan State were not no. in fact you can go through and and read when he transferred to Auburn there were a lot of Michigan State fans, and I was like, uh, "Have fun with that." Yeah, there, I mean, I mean there, there were not a lot of Michigan State fans that were just like, "Oh my gosh, we're right. losing the best thing that's ever been here." Most yeah. of them were like, "Bye, see you, good luck, good luck, Auburn." Yeah, right, you know, right. I mean, hey, I, I did not see that. That's interesting, but uh, I mean. You do with what you have, and all you have, and what you have right now are, are the four guys that are on your roster, and and there there yeah. will be opportunity for whomever wants to take it to really get the job. Whoever's put in the most work uh, with this offense, who really has a full understanding and can execute it the best, and I think Hugh Freeze is going to make that decision and and just deliberate based off of you know I, the 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 a day and whatever whatever and how that plays out. So yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting uh, to see who how this shakes out in all honesty i mean we could we could certainly see a quarterback transfer out i think uh let's go and take another trip to the orthopedic clinic phone line 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one triple eight nine tiger nine next up on the show jeff from columbus jeff is with us jeff how are you today doing great guys man i dang while i was on hold y'all y'all stole my thunder you done took every every you answered every <laughs> Or admitted to everything I was going to bring up. I mean, I was going to say uh, to get a number seven recruiting class, at least this day and age, you got to spend some money. So, you know, they got the receivers, they got what they wanted. So maybe the money's not there. I really, I seriously, and like I say, who knows? And it'll probably somehow we're going to have to get it figured out. You know, whether there's a uh, a cap or something like that. But I just don't believe that Auburn has the money to spend that some of these other schools have to spend. At least maybe not right now. 
you know, when, uh, but, um, so, but here's the deal. If what is true that what we're seeing is yearly payments to these players, okay, um, so you're going to have to pay those wide receivers again next year and the quarterback, right? So how's it ever going to change? Uh, you know, uh, dude, you would think they'd making more money next year. Hey, I actually caught, you know, went for a thousand yards, right? He's going to get more money. So uh, I don't, and Ryan, you had said it earlier in the year or right after transfer, if they don't get a quarterback this time, they better not take one after the spring, right? Sure. Because, you know, uh, the best ones are going to be gone. So I don't believe that the starting quarterback, what, um, who was it, Cam, I think just mentioned, you know, maybe it's Walker White, right? Because if anybody was going to start besides Peyton Thorne, they would have started him before. Sure. Right? You know, and uh, so nobody there is going to start. So if they bring in Walker White, surely they'd have to bring him in. You know, what do you got to lose if you've already lost three games? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I guess Peyton Thorne shouldn't even be in the picture anymore. None of this we're going to rotate or anything like that. Right? If Walker White is why Coleman and all them came there, besides the money, right, if that is the issue, they said, hey, this guy's lights out, we're going to go play with him, they ought to keep him in, just put him in. Because they're not going to have – how many years in a row has it been that their transfer quarterback that Auburn gets in – doesn't is is a washout. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, yeah. it's adding up now. Yeah, it's starting to add up. Yes. So you've actually got to develop some talent or recruit some talent. And didn't uh, didn't Freeze recruit White, or was he already there? Um, I mean, I believe he was an early commitment to, to Freeze. I think it was, was yeah, yeah, yeah it was just, first month or two okay. after Freeze took the job, I believe. Well, then, like you say, it's either going to be no money for a quarterback, a transfer quarterback, or he sees something in white, you know, is why he didn't get a transfer quarterback. Because it doesn't matter how many receivers you got. I mean, if you are if you can't throw the ball to him, I mean, what are you going to do, dump passes? You know, uh, uh, I, just, I just don't – I'm curious to see how it's going to work out. I can't wait. What is it? There's probably only 200 and something days till football season. <laughs> yeah, a good uh, six plus yeah. months still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, and hey, and Tom, you said it earlier. You can't understand why Georgia, what happened to Georgia? They fell off the map. You know, hey, what happened is I turned on the basketball game <laughs> to watch it. And they went straight in the tank ever since then. So, uh, not that I care, but I was just going to try to figure out what was going on. But that's what happened. So, uh, Man, I just wanted to call in. I hadn't called in a minute, and uh, we finally talked about some football, so I figured I'd put my two cents worth in, yes, sir. and it's not even worth that today. But uh, <laughs> you all uh, have a great show, and I'll I'll be listening. We appreciate the phone call, Jeff. And I, I do recall that phone call that he <laughs> Jeff had with us. It was a, a, maybe a game or two before <laughs> the losing streak started with basketball. He said, I, I'm going to start watching a little bit of this basketball team. Just just – Something to start watching, and they did start losing. Uh, so I guess we ask that you keep watching at least through Saturday, we hope, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, one point he brought up there, that let's hit on real quick before the end of the hour, was something I do struggle with was 
you've got the same group of guys with Thorne, Gardner and Brown. And look, Brown was a true freshman three-star guy last year. But you have to bank on massive improvements from one of those two guys, Gardner or Brown, because otherwise, what what would have changed? Did Thorne get progressively worse? Because he just beat him out last year, and Ger- that was Gurner's second year on campus. You can start your second year on campus if you're good, you know. And so, unless one of those guys got in the got in the lab and just got progressively better, nothing would change in that dynamic. Now, at least you don't have a, a runner to maybe cloud the 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 flow of a drive. It, you know, if Peyton Thorne was a guy that was getting out of rhythm because then he'd be taking out the red zone, we discussed this possibility multiple times, and looking over his shoulder, maybe that helps the confidence and rhythm. So you don't have one of those guys. None of these guys are going to come in and run the ball from him uh, so and, and function much differently. So maybe you've got that. But, yeah, I mean, I don't see why there would be a good argument uh, unless they just get – way better that Gardner or Brown right. would end up beating him out. And so, therefore, you would be looking at Walker White. And I guess the downside to him playing right away is that you, you, you would like to develop and not throw him out there if he's not ready and some guys aren't for a year or two. But If uh, you're beating the guys that are already there, then – but yeah, if that's he's, about as ready as you can be, right? If he can, if I would say he doesn't even have to necessarily beat Peyton Thorne out. He just needs to equal him in yeah. practice and in yeah, scrimmage yeah. and all that. Because then you're talking about someone that you would like to learn and grow with for the next three to four years. And you know, I I think I could be wrong. You're trying to guess someone's mentality from right. just interviews and watching play in high school and that sort of thing. Walker does not strike me as someone that is going to be feeble-minded. Nah, that, that is going to be mentally, mentally strong. Right. That, that's <laughs> going to, on the first sign of trouble, start checking out. Nah. Uh, but, again, you don't know it till you put them in those circumstances. So you, you do allow for that possibility as freshmen. But if he even approaches Thorne, I think, I think these guys realize that, look, we're going to try to – these receivers, they – Unless you transfer, you got to play somewhere three years before right. you go get that first round pick. Yep. So they know that they're going to play more with somebody else than with Peyton Thorne because Peyton Thorne's only got one year of eligibility. So we will be having this discussion for the next six months and hopefully not the next eight or nine months because hopefully it'll be figured out in time for September. But we shall see. We're going to take our end of hour break right now. On the other side, more of your phone calls 334 887 3401 locally or toll free 1 at 9 Tiger 9 if you'd like to call in today. And again, Lindsey Crosby at 515 to talk some Auburn baseball with us. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. 
Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Brian LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday. Again, coming up in just about 10 minutes, Lindsey Crosby of Auburn Daily will be joining us to talk some Auburn baseball. Looking forward to that. Uh, but in the meantime, let's go ahead and go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334 334- 887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Next up on the show today, Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you? Doing good, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking me on. So uh, it's you and Cam and Tom. Yes, sir. Tom, talk about you last night as I was watching the Creighton Blue Jays take down number one UConn. It happened. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, first, first, they had a 23-point lead, and I thought they were going to blow it. Because they chipped away down to ten points, they came through. So, and this is the same team, by the way, that got blown out uh, by UConn at their place. So, number one, I guess, uh, is number one uh, for very long, right? Yeah, I, like I said, it happens. It it's the crazy world of college basketball. I tell you something else that happened. Y'all might want to catch the video clip, but uh, it was they got into a brawl. I'm talking about over the weekend, Texas A&M Commerce. Yeah, never heard of them. Uh, had a brawl break out over old time game uh, against who? Incarnate Word. Yeah, I. I Did you guys. See that, that was wild. Yeah, no, that was full out fighting. Uh, that could have gone. It was a yeah. brawl. That could have gone WWE re- really quickly. Yeah, I mean, people were being thrown to the floor. Uh, players. Uh, I, I saw security guards, and then I started laughing because it was starting to happen. The uh, one of the ESP announcers said, "Oh, this." This doesn't look good. Huh. It went from it, it phased, it escalated from the, what's that little uh, clip you ever played? Well, that escalated uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So enough of that. All right, guys. On this day in history, in sports history, uh, an organization was founded that uh, that sport now leads to the uh, viewers of that sport to have a cricket in their neck. I really don't know. What would bring you to have a crick in your neck watching would, a certain sport? Would it be tennis, moving your head back and forth watching it? Close. How about NASCAR? Okay. Round and round and round and round. 1948 on those days. I know some of you guys are NASCAR uh, mm-hmm. aficionados, but 1948 uh, on this date, it was founded by a gentleman by the name of Bill France Bill F- Sr. Yeah. He was a mechanic. Yeah. And our a repair shop owner, according to the History Channel. And uh, the reason he got it, uh, the founder, he got some people around, he said he was tired of the, what? Dishonest promoters. Okay. So that was pretty interesting. And, you know, originally when they started doing this, uh, the race cars that they used were just typical street cars that people drove. Buicks, Cadillac, Oldsmobiles, you name it. That. That's what they used. Yeah, well, and and a lot of it stemmed from uh, uh, moonshine bootleggers, and they would um, they would 
do their cars up to try to get away from the police, and then they started racing each other in these bootleg bootlegger cars, and then they kind of organized that into actual races. But yeah, a lot of the cars were like these souped-up regular cars that bootleggers were using to run around with moonshine. Okay, didn't know that. Thanks for educating me. Um, you know who won the first Daytona 500, right? Oh, no, I don't. I, I can't don't. think of the guy's name that won that. I was not born when that happened. Okay, I was there. <laughs> it, it was in 1959. Lee Petty won it. Oh, that's right. Oh, Lee Petty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. So, uh, anyway, uh, with that going, guys, you know, and I don't really listen to this guy anymore. Thankfully, I'm a, I'm a happier person for it. But I just happened to run across this article. I don't know if you've already seen it from Athlon Sports. Paul Feinbaum predicts one conference will have three teams in the upcoming 2024 college football playoffs. Did you see that, guys, his predictions? Uh, he said one conference will have three teams? Three teams in the SEC uh, will oh, have, yeah. uh, SEC will have three teams. Who are they, guys? Uh, Georgia, Texas, yes. and Alabama. Yes. You got it. Yep. Okay. And then he had three other teams, he says, would be his runner-ups that might uh, maybe get in. And they are Ole Miss. Yeah, I see LSU okay. and Missouri. Okay. So okay. we are nowhere to be found. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect to be. All right. Uh, thanks for that encouragement, um, Ryan. So, Just um, keeping it honest, yep. Yeah, I know. I, I hate when you keep it honest. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Last night, I heard you guys comment earlier about the game. We won 7-2, uh, to two, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it really was much of a struggle. But what about this upcoming series that we're going to be playing in Jacksonville? Yeah, it's a group of teams down there. And so one of the. Iowa is our first one? uh, Yeah. So Iowa and uh, Virginia are the two biggest ones there. And uh, Iowa's a ranked team right now, and Virginia's a ranked team. And I think Virginia's ranked ahead of Iowa. But. those are the two games I would be targeting. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you don't need to play well in the others, and that's why I did a little segment early early in the show about some of the upsets in college baseball last night, like number one Wake Forest losing to UNC Greensboro. So uh, we know how baseball can be. But uh, I think those are the two big measuring stick games for the Tigers. It's really two of their tougher non-conference games, period, this year. And obviously we know why you don't have a plethora of them because of how tough the SEC is. But, yeah, that, that Iowa game, I think they got Wichita State too, and uh, I think they got Sanford uh, the, the next week at Plainsman Park. So the three down there are, are Iowa, Wichita State, and Virginia. So, yeah, those will, those will be a good grouping of games. Do you know very much about those teams we're going to be competing against, how well? I mean, do we match up with them and how six of do you think we'll be or not be? Uh, no, that, that goes a little bit beyond me because I, I, I really only follow the SEC baseball. Um, I follow ACC a little bit once the season gets going because of North Carolina, but um, I, I, it's so early for these teams that, that uh, I don't know too much about them yet. But, again, I'm going to defer to the, the polling, which all has them in the top 25, and, and just knowing how many ranked teams are in the SEC. I mean, this is the kind of thing Auburn's going to see week in, week out in conference play. Okay. Speaking real quickly with uh, baseball, I read where uh, Mr. Frank Thomas is going to be. His statue is going to be unveiled on this Friday. Is that right? Uh, uh, no, Frank. Frank, yeah, Tom, Frank no, Thomas is our statue is already unveiled. Albie is going okay. to have a statue unveiled. There. Is that it? Okay. Well, he yeah. said something. About, I read that uh, he uh, he made a comment. Uh, I don't know when he made it, but apparently he says he is more happier having his statue at Auburn rather instead of the uh, Hall of Fame uh, recognition he got. So I thought that was quite a statement. 
Yeah, so he um, now the one thing that they did unveil uh, the first weekend was the uh, club level that's named in his honor, uh, right. and and he was really um, uh, had a lot of good things to say about how proud he was to have his name uh, in Plainsman Park with that club section. But yeah, he has the uh, statue outside, and now the club level or that club uh, group or whatever club level I guess is whatever it's called is. Yeah. is named after him. But, yeah, Statue Wells Albee is supposed to be having a, a statue unveiled of him very soon. Okay. Real quick, I know time for now. Guys, tonight's games in the SEC. Um, especially you, man, because okay. you're a mystery. It happens. Could anything happen tonight against uh, any in terms of any upset? I know Florida's playing at Alabama. Uh, who else uh, could be an upset? Uh, I, I think – I, I mean, I, to me, I, I mean, I think the one the the one that could happen is Florida over Alabama, but I I don't know. I mean, Bama just scores so many daggum points, and them playing at home, I just don't see that happening. Brian, do you see any possible upsets in the SEC tonight? Um, I mean, I, I, Vandy is only a one and a half point underdog against a struggling Georgia team. I don't know how much. People would care about the possibility of an upset there. Uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Um, again, there's not really a, a difference in teams, uh, but uh, you know, I think that with Ole Miss winning the first one, State being at home this one, I guess it'd be more of an upset for Ole Miss to win on the road this time. Uh, so, not not anything major. The LSU Kentucky game would be the one where you would have a real upset op- opportunity because at home. But I kind of think Kentucky's going to still be able to win that game. Okay. Of course, you know, the upsets were last – well, I can't believe Tennessee struggled with A&M. Uh, only won by five points. And then how about Arkansas actually winning on the road? Uh, that was a quite – that was an upset, wasn't it? Yeah, Arkansas winning at Texas A&M. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, that was cer- certainly an upset. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Does it matter, as an Auburn uh, basketball fan – whether Georgia wins or loses this game tonight for the upcoming weekend game against us? I would rather Vandy win just to keep Georgia's losing streak going and not give them kind of a confidence boost. But uh, not for resume-wise, no, not really. And, Steve, we are going to have to let you go here. Okay. That's it, guys. Yep. Thanks for your time, as always. My time is way up. So, until tomorrow, guys, have a safe evening. War Eagle. War Eagle, Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Word Am Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are out of time for this segment. On the other side of this break, Lindsey Crosby will join us as uh, he will talk some Auburn baseball with us and much more. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Listening to the multi time Abbey Award winning sports call.
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Wednesday afternoon, turning into evening as we go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line where we welcome on Lindsey Crosby of Auburn Daily on with us today on this Wednesday. Lindsey, we certainly appreciate the time this afternoon. How are things in your world? Hey man, things are going great. We are we are in the throes of spring baseball, and it's just it's the best time of the year. And, and look, you're a busy guy. I mean, we could talk to you about the Braves coming up as they start spring trade. We talked a bit about MLB prospects. You do a lot. I'm sure we'll get to all of it here uh, in in a little bit. But let's start with Auburn baseball, of course, as they've gotten underway uh, four wins in a row. Let's start with that Eastern Kentucky series. We saw a healthy return for Joseph Gonzalez, and we saw some other guys really do an effective job on the mound. What stood out to you pitching-wise over the weekend? So I think for me it's something where we sometimes are expecting guys to have – like they they can't be dominant unless they have amazing velocity, right? You always think about your Paul Skeens throwing 100 miles an hour in the seventh inning. But a lot of Auburn guys – Chase Alsop has good velocity. He throws 95. But the rest of it is I know where I'm going to put this ball and you're not going to be able to hit it because you're not going to – think that I can put it there. There was more strikeouts looking in that weekend than I think I've seen in any Auburn baseball weekend series in probably five years. Carson Myers, uh, just eight strikeouts, one walk, only two hits over six innings, incredibly efficient, and just looked like he could put the ball wherever he wanted. He was walking up and just handed it to Ike Irish behind the plate. Uh, it, and that was the big takeaway for me is nobody's throwing super hard. Joseph Gonzalez is throwing 89, 90 miles an hour. But once he got past that first couple innings, you know, his first game back in 364 days, same thing. He wasn't giving up a lot of hard contact. Guys just weren't able to make, uh, to, to get good swings on the ball. And so because of that, maybe you have a, a ceiling because you're not rolling out guys who can throw 100 but your floor is a lot higher than maybe a lot of people expected out of you. And honestly, not having that guy that throws 100 is probably why you don't see more preseason respect to Auburn. But things like this weekend show you why Auburn always ends up in the mix to host a regional and make it to Omaha. And we had talked a little bit to Coach Tiefer, the new pitching coach for Auburn last week. He had talked a little bit about uh, the the ability to have two returning guys in Allsup and and, and obviously Justin Gonzalez, but also, as you mentioned, a, a dominant performance or a great performance from Carson Myers over the weekend, transfer out of UAB. Uh, we also know they got, have guys like Herber Holtz that can bounce around. They have Will Cannon. I mean, what is the strong point of this pitching staff as you see it right now? It feels like you have some of everything. Like, you have guys you have guys like Chase Alsup who has great velocity. Uh, Zach Crotchfeld, another example of a guy who could run it up to the mid-90s. You have guys that have amazing breaking pitches. I'm thinking about a John Armstrong in that slider. And then the way that you can present these guys. Look at how Friday went down. You had a, a – I'm sorry, it's how Saturday went down. You had Joseph Gonzalez throwing from a lower right-handed slot, kind of soft. You followed him up with a guy like a Zach Crotchfelt, a lefty, higher slot, higher velocity. You followed that up with a guy like a John Armstrong with a different look. Everybody looks different. And they're throwing different stuff, and it's all effective. And so not letting opposing offenses ever get comfortable at the plate is what it feels like is the big, the, the big thing for this, off, or for this pitching staff right now, just the ability to throw in different looks at any time and have guys that they trust to go out and execute. 
And, Lindsey, when we're looking offensively now for the Tigers, obviously not the best performance for them last night against UAB, just in terms of hits. They were incredibly yeah. patient. I mean, double-digit walks is, uh, is is the epitome of that. But uh, when we're looking lineup-wise, were you surprised, I guess, go back to opening weekend and, and what they've done so far with Chris Stanfield, a guy that led off for the Tigers last year? There was some talk if he would go leadoff spot or the, the second type of leadoff hitter batting in the bottom of the order. Have you been surprised uh, that he was, A, in the middle of the order and that he's shut a little pop early in the season. So I think I was surprised. I was more surprised about him being in the middle than about him having pop. I was. I've been on this horse now, banging this drum for like a year that Chris Stanfield's going to be a problem for opposing uh, teams in just about every respect. So I expected a, a lot out of him. Five out of thirteen. He's tied for best average on the team. Uh, he is tied for second on the team in home runs. He's done some of everything, right? But. Uh, having him batting later in the lineup and Javon Hernandez leaning off uh, is something where I think after this weekend, if Hernandez isn't able to to maybe do more from a hitting standpoint, he's gotten on base six times. They were all walks. He's actually 0 for 11 on the season at the plate. He just has six walks and three runs. I think you might see a move and Stanfield go back up to the top because Yes, Cooper Weiss can steal a lot of bases. I don't think I realized he was going to be that much of a threat on the base pass. But Chris Stanfield is a very dynamic leadoff hitter who can give you that old school slap a ball, get on base, steal two more bags look. Or he can get some power behind his swings and drive some guys in and give you that new style, you know, that new type of leadoff hitter like a Ronald Acuna Jr. Not that he's Ronald Acuna Jr., but that same kind of look. So his versatility, I think, is going to be big this season. And this offense might go as far as Chris Stanfield and Ike Irish take him. And, and Lindsay, I would be curious your thoughts, uh, getting your philosophy on these speed guys in the game. And I know that it can vary between the major leagues and, and college, but you traditionally see one of these speedsters towards the top to set the table. That's the way it was for so long. And now we see in Major League Baseball, you've got guys that hit 40 home runs, as a matter of fact, leading off two. Uh, when you have someone like Cooper Wise, who's already got six stolen bases in four games, I mean, is there a temptation just off speed alone to put him in the top of the order, or is it still more about uh, just providing the best challenge for a pitcher at the, at the top of the lineup? Just how would you go about that? So as much as I'd want to put Cooper Weiss up there, to me it's you want a guy who's, who has reliable enough contact that he can get on base in the first place before he does all those steals. And at junior season at Coastal Carolina, he batted like 222. He had a 303 average at Miami last year, but easing him into the SEC, I think, is the right way for Auburn to handle this. And he is, if he handles the acclimation into conference play well, then I think if you have to make a change off of Javon Hernandez, you've got Chris Stanfield, Cooper Weiss could be another option. But I'm of kind of the new school opinion now, the more time I've spent uh, talking to prospects and, and dealing with the, the professional baseball side of it, of the higher you are in the lineup, the more at-bats you get over the course of a year. And let's take your best hitters, provided they have enough speed to threaten opposing pitchers, get your best hitters towards the top. I, and so Chris Stanfield, to me, would be the guy I'd put on top if we move off of Javon Hernandez, simply because I have better faith in his contact ability, maybe more so than almost anybody else is on the roster, but probably more than Cooper Weiss. 
And, and one guy that you want to get all the at-bats you can is Ike Irish. We saw what he did <laughs> as a freshman last year. We saw he's already had a couple of really nice outings. And obviously he's doing more catching duty this year, too, for the Tigers than he did uh, last year. Uh, give us a little bit about why Ike Irish has been so good from the word go and just the expectations for him. You know, going into the season, they, like, the thought for him was very much we're going to play him some behind the plate. He's a natural catcher, but we're also going to move him around a little bit, give our other catchers a chance to perform. And he's just been so locked in from, from the jump, right? Six of 18, he's, he's, leading the league, he's leading the team in home runs right now. And I think the power coming in has been the big differentiator for Ike Irish. You saw last year, led the team in doubles. Really didn't hit a lot of home runs until late in the year when he started to get more comfortable, and that's carried over this year. And uh, I want him up there batting second, batting third, getting as many at-bats as possible. But I do also, I am also cognizant of you want guys to be on base in front of him. And so I don't think I'm ever going to want to say move Ike Irish to leadoff. You want a little more speed than a catcher traditionally is going to have. But I like the idea of you put him around, you know, around third, you let somebody be on base in front of him, and then you have a little protection for him with Bobby Pierce and Cooper McMurray, two college veterans who have traditionally been very good. Cooper's, I think, one of 13 right now, but he's also walked, I think, four or five times and has a home run. So uh, Ike needs to get as many at-bats as possible, but he also needs to come on base with runners on, so or come up to bat with runners on. That way he gets better pitches to hit. So looking ahead to the this weekend series, uh, uh, the this weekend uh, classic that's going on uh, in Jacksonville, what what is ahead of Auburn? What are we looking at here? I know we've been asked about some of these other teams, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe you know a little bit about them. Obviously, Iowa, uh, Wichita State, and Virginia. Uh, what do you know about them? What what kind of a challenge is Auburn going to face? Okay, so uh, so Iowa's going to be a really great matchup for Auburn because you haven't seen this lineup face a really good pitcher. Brody Brecht, the starter for Iowa, he's going to be the Friday night guy. He might have, honestly, one of the best just arm strength uh, guys in all of college baseball. He averaged 97 miles an hour on his fastball last year. Uh, He ran it up to 101. And we saw how dangerous he can be. Uh, He he struck out double-digit guys last week. In, in four and a third innings, but he also walked six, and he, he took him 100 pitches to get through that four and a third innings. And so the, like, the test for Auburn on Friday is going to be, can they be patient? Can they, you know, foul balls off, run his pitch count up? But then also, when he unleashes a heater, can they get to it? Can they make good contact with it? And the sooner Auburn can knock Brody Brecht out of the game, I think is their best chance to beat Iowa, but it's going to be a great test. The best, the biggest test you've seen of this offense so far. And then after that, Wichita state is uh, the shockers are a little bit, I'm going to say they're underrated a lot. They, uh, they had a good offense against little rock last, uh, last weekend, got a ton of strikeouts, didn't walk a lot of guys, but they don't have a lot of studs. They're one of those better than some of their parts teams. But then you close the weekend with, with, um, with Virginia, who's been, I think they're a top 10 team right now. They've got, last I looked, seven guys we're expecting to be drafted in the next, or in the top 100 college prospects in the next two draft classes. And 
this is just a team that has they have good pitching. They have plenty of deep hitters. It's probably the most complete team that Auburn's going to face until you get to conference play. So you have a chance to face a premium pitcher against Iowa. You have a chance to show that you can uh, beat another solid but not spectacular team in Wichita State. And then you have to go out there and beat a complete team from top to bottom in Virginia on Sunday. I, <laughs> that was a good, great breakdown. Goodness gracious. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> and that's why I asked the question, because I knew we were going to get that answer. Well, so now let me pick your brain on this. Okay. Um, obviously, a lot of people here in town, me included, love to go to Montgomery and watch the Montgomery Biscuits. And obviously, we got spring training kicking off. Uh, picking your brain about the Tampa Rays and, uh, and some of their prospects. Obviously, Junior Caminero no longer going to be with the Biscuits, as he is now in the majors. But uh, – if you're a Biscuits fan, who do you think you can look forward to this year uh, playing in Montgomery that might be the next superstar? One of my favorite players, honestly, in the entire minors, not just in Tampa Bay system, is going to be shortstop Carson Williams. He's one of their top prospects. He is I – mean, I, I have conservatively watched a ton of baseball in the last year, and he is one of the best defensive shortstops that I saw in all of 2023. Minors, majors – doesn't matter. He's an amazing defender. He can hit the ball incredibly hard. His thing is going to be better quality of contact and making more frequent contact. So Carson Williams at shortstop is going to be tons of fun for Tampa Bay. And then Braden Taylor drafted last year at third base at a TCU. He's probably going to start the year in high A, but I'm pretty confident he'll be in double A sooner rather than later. And so that left side of the infield is going to be really, really interesting and then for your outfield, Shane Sasaki, uh, Mason Hour, Drew Baker is probably your starting outfield in AA. And it's a bunch of guys that are really intriguing. There's questions about them, but also they can get hot and perform. And then at some point in time, you're going to add Colton Ledbetter uh, out of Mississippi State. was drafted last year in, I think, the second or third round. You're going to add Colton Ledbetter and Brock Jones to that. And it's going to be probably one of the better de- – outfields from a defensive perspective and from a power potential perspective in the minors and you're going to have that no later than midseason if not earlier than that so lots of really intriguing uh, position players pitching there's a little more question about what you're going to get in montgomery uh yoniel Corret's going to be a guy uh, international free agent you'll see him uh, they're trying to move him aggressively because he's already on the 40-man roster so you they want to get him to tampa bay quickly you'll see him uh, but Outside of that, it's going to be a really an offense and position player-driven group in Montgomery for at least the first part of the season. He's Lindsey Crosby of Auburn Daily and, uh, again, a lot of other things like Locked On MLB Prospect, Braves Today. You do it all baseball-wise. Man, what can our listeners find? How can they support your work, and what all can they find with what you've got going on? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's the hub for everything, whether it's like – Everybody said the major league writing for Bravesoday.com, the uh, the daily, the number one daily minor league baseball podcast, Locked in MLB Prospects, or the college baseball at AuburnDaily.com. He's Lindsey Crosby, again, of Auburn Daily, Locked on MLB Prospects, Braves Today, all that good stuff. Again, Lindsey, we appreciate the time today. We know we'll be talking again down the line because we've got to ask you about the Braves coming up and more Auburn baseball and all the great things, but we certainly appreciate the time today. Hey, man, thanks for having me. That is Lindsey Crosby today of Auburn Daily joining us on this Wednesday edition of the program. Let's go ahead and go to our next timeout of the show. Back with more after this timeout.
time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger Back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Or if you're listening after the fact on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca Cola, Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry with you here on this Wednesday. Again, our thanks to Lindsey Crosby uh, doing uh, a wonderful job breaking down what's ahead for the Auburn Tigers and uh, what they've got going on. Uh, if you also go to his Twitter page, um, it is Lindsey Crosby, big baseball guy, and uh, I, I, it feels that we can confirm that. So really appreciate Lindsey uh, for joining us right there. Uh, starting to wind down this Wednesday edition of, uh, of the show, but before we do that, we do want to have a ticket giveaway opportunity for Auburn Gymnastics. Uh, it's the final home meet of the year uh, that's coming up here uh, on this Friday at 6 o'clock. Uh, inside of Neville Arena. So the first caller right now to 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Four tickets to Auburn Gymnastics against Missouri. It's their final home meet of the season this Friday, 6 o'clock inside of Neville Arena. Again, we got four free tickets for you for the first caller at 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. We will go ahead and head back to the orthopedic clinic phone line right now. Our next caller up, Michael from Auburn. Michael is with us. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing good, guys. I'll, I'll just have some, some quick questions or just comments. Uh, I saw the news, or, or they kind of did the format for the uh, – Five seven for the for the football playoff. Yes, and that kind of that, that rule. And one of the comments that I heard this morning was that would force Notre Dame to have to to be a five C because they could not be in the top four uh, and not be playing for a conference championship. And so uh, I thought that you know was fine because I feel like SEC championship or any of the other conference championships uh, it is kind of that semifinal. Um, and so to force them to have to play a, 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 a play-in game, basically, or, or be in that 5-12 to 12 seed uh, and not have top four, um, I thought was pretty neat. As an Auburn fan, I would always love to see them win a championship, but I'm, I'm not going to lie, guys. If we have the opportunity to host a playoff game, I just think that atmosphere is going to be amazing for a fan. I don't want them to not win the SEC, but just as a fan base to to see that, I think would be awesome. Uh, and then for basketball, uh, top four, but I think just for momentum, if we don't make it to a top four um, and 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 kind of get on a run in a tournament, I think long term that may help us when we actually get into the tournament 
if we have to play more within an SEC type tournament. That's just my thoughts, guys, and I'll hang up and listen. Appreciate the phone call, Michael. That is Michael from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Yeah, good thoughts right there. Uh, we did get to, it was very brief because we only had like an hour show yesterday. We, we talked, me and Brooks, just a little bit about the playoff, but I'm glad that he brought it up because we do need to get to that some more. Uh, so let's let's start there. It is the 5 plus 7 model. That is an interesting thought about Notre Dame. The thought I had yesterday to kind of balance these things is that the 5 seed could end up being a really, really good seed, and here's why. You're going to have the top four seeds, again, as he alluded to, be automatically the highest four-ranked conference champions. Okay, So that's seeds one through four. So the highest-ranked non-conference champion is going to be the five seed, unless somehow you have a perfect one through five of all conference championships. That's not going to happen. So what's likely to happen is that, okay, you're going to have your power four conferences be one through four. Let's call it the Mountain West, the Sun Belt, the American, whatever you want to call it is your fifth conference champion. They're probably going to be the 12th seed. Most years, they're not going to be in the top eight or nine. They're going to be the 12th seed. And what's going to happen is that's going to give the five seed the opportunity to host a playoff game against the group of five conference champion and then go on in the next round and play the four seed because it's going to be bracketed out. It's not going to be like NFL where you reseed and all that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be bracketed out. So you're going to play the four seed, which means there's a shot that that four seed could be like the number eight or nine or ten team in the country, honestly. It could be a two loss Big 12 team or a two loss ACC mm-hmm. team, you know, one of the years like that Pitt and Wake Forest year or whatever. And so you could have a situation where you have a down power four conference and a team that's truly more deserving of a nine or ten spot, but it's going to be the four because the fourth highest ranked conference champion's got to be number four. So if you're a five seat, it could actually be very favorable for you depending on the year because you could be playing an even weaker team than normal for number 12 on your home field, and then you could play a four seed that's probably more outside the top six or seven in terms of actual quality of team and where they were ranked and, and that sort of thing. So for Notre Dame not to get the four – or top four, okay, that does okay. That is impactful to them because they're not one step closer to a championship. They have to play one extra game, but they have access just like everyone out to a really good scenario where you get a home playoff game if you're five, six, seven, etc. Uh, and if you're the five or really high, you could be playing someone that's actually not valued as a top three or four or five team, depending on the seating and stuff. So, I think it's a pretty good balance, guys. Of you get the reward of winning your conference championship and and getting a, a buy. You're one game. You one game. You don't have to put yourself in peril. You're one game closer to a national championship. However, for the couple of those top non-conference champions, you still get a home playoff game, which is going to be awesome. As Michael said, I would love to see a home playoff game during here stadium. Yeah, uh, I'm dope. sure many great places would love to have one. Um, and, again, you might be able to shake out to a, a decent opponent even in the second round game, depending on it is. But the downfall is, look, you are putting yourself on the line one week earlier and, and do have to win one extra game. So your guys' thoughts on the 5-plus-7 model and the, the, the ability to have home games in the first round, go to bowl games in the second round, and that sort of thing. Uh, I, I like the setup of it. Uh, my only – my only concern, I guess, is the fact that when those games are going to be playing at home is going to be that Christmas break. And, like, are, are, are the crowds going to be able to be the same? Uh, when I don't know. I have my concerns about that. But, I mean, that, I guess, would be my only concern. Um, I like the setup of it. Uh, 
on paper. I like the way I like the setup of it on paper. I kind of want to see it in action and see how it goes. And I think that's how I feel like that's how a lot of people feel. It's like, well, it sounds good. Let's see how it plays out because it may be one of those once you once it actually happens and it kind of goes to it, you're like, yeah, you know, maybe we need to fix this. But it sounds good. I, I like the way it's set up. Um, how it affects Notre Dame, eh, you know. I, I've I've felt like Notre Dame needs to make some changes with the way they do stuff for a while. Anyway, maybe this will join a conference. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So maybe that will force their hand on that. I don't know, but I like it. Um, I, I like I said though, I do have concerns about hosting home games during the Christmas break. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's a great. You know, I think it'll be really exciting. I mean, it's more football, right? And everybody kind of like wants more football. Uh, hosting the home playoff game is certainly going to be electric within in every environment that gets to host one. It's an extra home game, and it's like with with. I mean, every game, obviously, with just how few every game has a stake, but it's just, you know, it's a playoff environment in a in a home stadium, not one of these bigger pro stadiums like we've seen uh, the last few years. So it, it, it's really exciting to be able to see this. And uh, I, I like the automatic bids. Uh, if you're Notre Dame, it sucks. If you don't want if you want to be a higher seed, if you want to get a buy, there's a pretty simple fix. Join a conference. It's pretty much it. <laughs> there's really, there's really no other. But again, like I said, I mean, some people, I can definitely see some people having the opinion. I'd rather just get a home playoff, and game maybe, and, because, may, and maybe that's right. a preference. I mean, we did talk about it at one point where I was like, maybe one of these teams doesn't want the buy; they would prefer to tank for the for the for the home playoff game because that, I mean. The home advantage is just ridiculous, and and how that plays a part in in just a game to game basis. You get one extra home game, and you're hosting a playoff game for the stakes. Okay, maybe in the next game you have to travel, but that one extra home game could mean on all, all the world and all the difference in terms of momentum and and what you have to do and how that team plays sure. throughout the rest of the playoff. So I I could I could understand that side of it as well. It could certainly be interesting. I don't think now. Do I think just from a competitive standpoint, is anybody going to tank to get the buy? I, I doubt it. I, I highly tank doubt for the home game. You mean. Or, like, yeah, like not ta- or excuse me, yeah, not game. for the yeah. buy. Me, tank for the home game and I'll try to avoid the buy. And, and it, it would be interesting because you know so, so, some buys work better for some teams than others. You know, for the most part, you'd rather probably have some continuity, continue to play because you don't want to get cold. You want to continue in the rhythm that you're in. And sometimes it just doesn't matter. Like. You know, I mean, just for example, Georgia, right? Like, what was, uh, I guess that would be two years ago. And they, what was the two weeks before the national championship? And they still came out and beat the brakes off TCU. So it just doesn't really matter at that point in time. If you're ready to play, you're ready to play. So there, there's always that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, to each his own, but it, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be absolutely electric. We'll get more into that discussion again more uh, later this week throughout the summer. Uh, but the other thing I did want to hit on Michael's second part of his call real quick, which was uh, talking about the tournament for Auburn. And I, this is something we alluded to the other day, had a brief discussion on. Uh, we'll hit it again here. Uh, it's now kind of uh, a hodgepodge of teams. It's it's. Uh, six teams in the SEC kind of vying for the four double buy spots in the SEC tournament. It could shake out a lot of different ways there. Uh, but Auburn having four losses is right square in the middle of that, and they've lost to some of the teams that are also in that, so they would not have a tiebreaker against a team like Kentucky, for instance. And so uh, that we will see if they end up in the top four getting that double buy. 
Guys, I feel like if they are even, though, and, and this is what Michael's getting at, if they are the five or the six, for the SEC tournament, I actually don't mind that because you get the opportunity to play a weaker opponent and try to get momentum going before you then play your next game. I look at it differently than I say do in football where you've got more injury situations. You're actually playing for the national championship in that tournament. You're not playing for the national championship here. You're playing for the ability to try to get warm, get good wins before you go into the NCAA tournament. I'd kind of rather Auburn go ahead and play a team uh, like an Arkansas or an LSU that's down in the standings, maybe even a Vanderbilt depending on who wins what, than – play your first game against someone that's a five or six like Kentucky because if you're the four or five you're going to play someone of even caliber except they're going to have played a game probably beaten somebody and then you've been sitting and I don't think college kids get tired after playing one basketball game personally so uh, I would rather them actually if they're not going to be the one or the two if they're not going to actually be able to get to the actual regular season title I would rather them get going by playing a weaker team. What about you guys in the SEC tournament? In basketball, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. Um, No, I I, I don't think I'd rather play a weaker team. I I think I'd rather just continue to play a stronger opponent. Okay, so you want the double bye. Yeah, I want the double bye. Yeah, I mean, I still I, want the double. I still want the double buy. I think the double buy is is valuable, and, and I get what you're saying in terms of continuity with, especially with basketball. It's definitely more about a momentum sport, but that double buy is just still it's so important, and you've played so many games throughout the season that I think once you earn that double buy, you've you've I mean you've earned it. That that's something that you've done when you've played a high level of games and, and you've played some really good basketball. So I think the double buy is is something that uh, is is definitely very valuable. I so I, I the double buy is very valuable. Didn't didn't we discuss this the other day? Did we? Is this where we did the? Um, the we did discuss it, but I wanted to bring it back up yeah, since big, Michael well, brought it back up. Yeah, but yeah, the I, big, I, that, I is that the one that we did like the big deal, little deal, no big deal? Yes. Yeah, that's why. And so I said it was a little deal. Yeah. Um, it's important, but it's not the end all be all. Right. Right. I mean, it, it is very important because you do like the rest. You do like to have that that double buy and see what happens below you. But ultimately, if you've already, it's more important if if your NCAA tournament life is on the line. At that point in the season, you want to play as few games as possible. I feel like you want to rest. If you're not, like you said, Tom, if you're not fighting for your tournament life, it's not imperative because if you feel as though you're, because I don't even think necessarily fighting for seeding matters that much. Like not the crazy ex- extent because you feel like if you're confident in the in the team that you have, then it doesn't matter. You know, the line between a three and a four seed is like not the end all be right. all. You know what I'm saying? So I I think I I think yeah. That. But now, now well, to be also to be fair, if you're even in line for the double buy, then you're already in. You're right. You're, you're already locked. You're locked, you're locked. anyway. So yeah, it's valuable for that seating. But I think you know, I still look at it in the big picture of things. Yeah, it's important, but it would be more important if it was the end of the line. Like if your season yes. and whether or not you're playing any more basketball yes. depends on anything, then it's vastly more important. But really, I mean, when you're talking about that. These are teams that are already going to be in the NCAA tournament, so it's like, and let yeah, me, it'd be nice, but and let me also remind you of this: when Auburn won the SEC tournament, 2019, 
They were a five seed. They did not have the double bye. Yeah. They got going early, yep. uh, and they were able to get hot. And maybe that's why I'm also thinking of it that way, too. Look, still, overall, if you can be the one or two, which means you've had a phenomenal season all the way through, then I would rather you be the one or the two seed. Because right. then even in that quarterfinal matchup, you're taking on a seven or an eight seed, yep. and that's probably a bubble team type of deal. Like, I want that, and then I want that double right. buy. Absolutely. But if you're going to be in the four-five type of matchup anyway, you're going to play the same caliber team. Let me well get a running five. start. Yeah, let me let me let get me. a game going, get some momentum before I play the same caliber of team I'm going to end up playing right. anyway. Uh, and so that's why I've kind of adjusted my thinking a little bit there uh, because. If you're in that range, that's when the seeding does not affect you much in who you play. It just affects you in when you play. And I'd rather get an extra win on the resume and and maybe try to parlay that into real momentum that can help you sustain against uh, that that dif- the same team you're going to play anyway. Final minute or two of the show today. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Calls Nightly TV Guide today is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Wow, the first two basketball games I would like a certain team to lose. We'll start off with number eight, Duke, going to Miami, 6 o'clock on ESPN. And at ESPN2 at 6 o'clock, number 13, Alabama, hosting number 24, Florida. That's a big one in the SEC. Again, Alabama with just two conference losses is starting to build a, a bit of a lead against some of these other teams. Uh, need them to falter at some point. 6 o'clock on ESPNU, more ACC basketball, but lowly programs. Notre Dame going to Louisville. 6 o'clock on FS1. Somehow St. John's is on the bubble, and by somehow I mean Rick Pitino is their coach, and they get way too much credit for it. Uh, they go to Georgetown at 6 o'clock, who has been struggling mightily this year. And also in the NHL, you've got the Philadelphia Flyers. They go to the Chicago Blackhawks at 6 o'clock on TNT. And I'll give you a few more bonus picks for the 8 o'clock wave. You've got number 7, Marquette, facing one of the worst power whatever programs in DePaul. Uh, Marquette will win that one uh, easily. That's 8 o'clock FS1. And then 8 o'clock ESPN, number 17, Kentucky, goes to LSU. And that is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that is going to do it for this Wednesday edition of the program. Cam Berry, thank you for being here on this Wednesday. We will see you again on Friday. See you on Friday. Glad to be here. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here today. We will see you again next week. I hope you have a good rest of your week. Absolutely enjoyed it. It's been a fun week. Again, that will do it for today's show. We want to thank Lindsey Crosby of Auburn Daily for joining the program a little bit earlier. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in for tp hammock who was running the board and taking phone calls and for cam berry and tom Peavy, my name is ryan lavoy have a great wednesday night and we'll talk to you again tomorrow